Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. The Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzlecast, welcome back for a very special Bizzlecast today. I am thrilled to bring in a fellow Star Wars podcaster and the co-host of my personal favorite Star Wars podcast, The Saga Continues. His name is Tim, and Tim, we are very happy to have you here on The Bizzlecast. So before we do quick intros and get into it, hello and welcome, sir. Ah, thank you, man. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. So, uh, Tim uh, Jurassi, I think I got that right, finally. Um, uh, you got it perfect. Yes. <laughs> One uh, of the few. <laughs> yeah. Who is a, uh, a, a, a SoCal boy and a Yankees fan. Two important things to know uh, about <laughs> yes, everybody yeah. is where they're from um, and what baseball team they like. Um, so, we got that out of the way. Um, so really quickly, man, a non-Star Wars topic, and I want to ask you about yourself real quick. Uh, when the Dodgers are doing well, do you find yourself like being a closet Yankees fan? Uh, b- being an East Coaster over here, I know what that's like. <laughs> no, man, I wear my Yankee fandom loud and proud. <laughs> yeah. I support the shirts, even like when the Dodgers were in the World Series this year, you know, still displaying my Yankee fandom, even though they just got like, knocked out of the ALCS. It could have been the Dodgers yankees world series one of those classic matchups i was really hoping for so i was a bit bummed when the yankees lost that game seven to the astros but it was still a fun season yeah as i mentioned to you before the podcast my mom's entire family are huge yankees fans going back many generations but what's crazy is there are so many new york transplants over the generations to california um, there's a lot of New York uh, f- uh, fans or, or children or grandchildren of New York fans in California, certainly in San Francisco, where I've spent more time. And then, of course, you've got people whose families have been following the Dodgers since they were in Brooklyn. So you've, yeah. I know tons of people who still root for the Dodgers who live in New York or California because of that. I don't know if, that, if you've run across that. Um, not too many, because at least from my family like my dad's uh, brothers and like uncles and stuff like that, they always rooted for the, the Yankees. So <laughs> the Jurassic name has been affiliated with Yankee fandom. <laughs> yeah, for totally. A few the only one, believe it or not, who was a Yankees fan was my grandfather, my dad's dad, who was a New York Giants fan. But everyone else <laughs> was pretty much a Yankees fan. So he was the odd one out. But yeah, yeah. So that's passed down to pretty much all of <laughs> my generation of uh, uh, Jurassic's growing up. All right. So maybe we'll later get into uh, why s- the sport that most Star Wars fans that I know like the best is baseball is really interesting mm. uh, later on. I have some theories about just nerds and baseball in general. Uh, maybe nothing too revolutionary. But we want to move towards Star Wars. Last Jedi has only been out, man, for what four weeks at this point five weeks um but it already feels like it's winding down in a few ways and i've done a bunch of retrospective podcasts about what we thought about the movie with friends and other podcasters you did my favorite podcast ever because you just guys had the (laughs) balls to do six hours and i hope you don't mind i curse a little bit on my podcast occasionally uh you did six hours and 20 fucking minutes I know you said you split it up into two, but it sounded like one long podcast. And dude, I'm not just saying this to kiss your butt, but like I listened to that whole thing in like two or three sittings and it went by so (laughs) fast. Like I kept looking at the hour marker and being like, there's no way another hour just went by. Like you just talked (laughs) about five minutes on Octo for 49 minutes. Like, uh, like uh, you guys (laughs) always, (laughs) yeah, well, I love it because I'm known for doing long podcasts and I've had to work hard to, for both my guests and some of my fans to shorten some of my podcasts um but some of my favorites are 
in the like three hour range. I've always enjoyed that about you guys. And just the fact that you're two buddies who like to talk about things um, and stuff like that. So I really want to get into how you got into the Saga Continues podcast. I will first mention that I, of course, came across to you through the uh, legendary Paul Herman. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, who's just a force of nature. And I've been listening to since he was on the Modern Myth Media podcast, I don't know, four or five years ago, talking Marvel stuff mm-hmm. with Sean Gerber and those guys. And then I found out he was a Star Wars fan later because this was you know, still well into the lead up of uh, Force Awakens. Like hadn't come out yet. The hype was just starting to build. So then when he started recommending Star Wars podcasts, yeah, you guys came up at some point. I don't remember the chronology exactly. So lead me into how you know Paul, how you got into doing a Star Wars podcast yourself. I know you've talked about this on your podcast, but I'd love for my fans to hear how you guys, who are very much a D, uh, uh, DIY-style podcast, where you're just like, fuck it, me and my buddy are going to talk Star Wars for three or four hours every couple weeks, and it's going to be great. Like, How did that come about with Kyle and, and sort of the whole community? Well, first off, thanks for the kind words, and I appreciate it. I'm glad that that episode in particular, <laughs> being that long, came across as, you know, some that didn't drag on, but it flew by. So I <laughs> appreciate that. It was great. Um, but yeah, how it just came out for me uh, getting involved with the podcast with Kyle was I first uh, started writing news articles for the website uh, Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the Clone Wars oh. TV show. And that was kind of around its fifth season, like just before the whole few months before the whole Disney acquisition. So uh, I put my name out there to write news articles for that. So that's how I got involved with that group. And Kyle was someone who was involved with that site too. And he would write the recaps uh, for each Clone Wars episode for the podcast uh, for the episode they were covering. And then once the big news happened that you know Disney was acquiring Lucasfilm, there's going to be a new trilogy, you know, <laughs> or what was this, shock? And then uh, Kyle, the day afterwards, just sent me you know a Facebook messages asking, hey, do you want to join me in starting a podcast talking about, you know, this exciting new era of Star Wars. I'm like, heck yeah, man. <laughs> it's going to be great to talk about all this new upcoming Star Wars goodness <laughs> for the next few years. So I jumped at the opportunity. Hmm. And so, yeah, we started about uh, November 2012 and been going strong since. And, you know, I just, I'm just really thankful that me and Kyle hit it off because before he asked me to start the podcast with him, we really didn't interact too much. Maybe we just did one uh, podcast together, guest spotting on the Frontlines Clone Wars podcast, but we really didn't, you know, communicate too, too much. But um, since he knew I was involved with the site and he was, and I was keeping up with all the news, he uh, figured, you know, I might be the a good person to do a new Star Wars podcast with. So he hit me up on it and just thankful that we became good friends uh, since then and just had a built our, I guess, rapport together for podcast co-hosts and just thankful that it was something, you know, where he asked me we didn't know each other and it didn't work out when we our personalities clashed or whatnot but thankfully that wasn't the case and uh it's been great talking star wars for over five years now and can't believe we're already three movies into this new era oh my god going by so fast it's sent forever once we got that announcement in 2012 just to get to episode seven but now it's like we're just zipping by this trilogy already we just got one more yeah it's just crazy to think that's this time has gone by so fast but it's been a blast 
That's so interesting you say that because I've actually been working on for the last six months or so a uh, <clears throat> not a book but like a long essay and series of podcasts. I'm hoping to do that are just called 2012. And if you uh-huh. look at the year 2012, like that was the year of the nerd explosion between the Avengers, the Disney sale, uh, YouTube programming exploded that year. Like if you look at all the major YouTubers, uh, like most mm-hmm. of them got Good their point. start 2011, 2012. Um, uh, you know, Netflix um, like took a huge jump that year in terms of original programming, like just across the board. Uh, the first Gamergate controversy was that year. I mean, like, ev- like if you just search 2012 nerd, online it's crazy how much happened that year and we're definitely going to talk clone wars if you're cool uh with doing that at some point Uh, because i did a podcast a few uh, months ago entitled uh, how ahsoka tano and the clone wars saved star wars uh which is crazy coming from me because i hadn't even seen the clone wars until after rogue one um and (laughs) so now i have an entirely new perspective on both the clone wars and the prequels and just the star wars legacy in general and i don't think without that sort of 10 uh or i should say seven year period um maybe something to talk later between uh revenge of the sith and the purchase by disney they didn't have something as great for the fans as clone wars with new and old characters from you know, a re-envisioned anakin to ahsoka and so forth i i don't know that disney would have had the same level of interest that there were those kinds of fans out there so um I, I do want to talk more about about podcasting, but why don't we table that for now? Since you brought up uh, th- that chronology, I'd love to dive more into it. And then I want to get uh, just as a quick schedule, Bizzlecasters. We're going to talk a little bit about like how we feel the Last Jedi at this point after multiple viewings, you know, month in. But we're mostly going to talk about the future. But really quickly, when you were covering the Clone Wars and then the Disney thing happened, what was like your original? What was your feeling at that time about where Star Wars was? Did you feel like okay, Okay, we're gonna enter a brand new era of awesome Star Wars-ness. Did you have trepidation about it? Did you feel like it was just added content? Like, okay, we've already had amazing Star Wars for 30 years, but maybe we'll get some new stuff from Disney. Like, where was your head at in that position as someone who was covering it actively at that time? Yeah, first off, it was a shock. I mean, I couldn't believe it was happening because I've come to terms with it since Revenge of the Sith that that was going to be the last Star Wars movie. And, you know, I was, you know, that's what George Lucas intended. So I'm okay with that. And he kept saying for years after how, you know, that's it. I, I'm not making any more. Well, I to be think- fair, he said that about Return of the Jedi too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the prequels, he always talked about the prequels, you know, being something he wanted to do. But yes. Revenge of the Sith, that was somewhere like he had, you know, adamantly said this was it. So I took him at his word with that. And that's, I just held on to that for that 10 year period until we got, or 10 year period between episode three and episode seven but we got that announcement before that so but during that gap i was just always content with episode three being the last star wars movie and getting star wars on tv which was awesome i mean clone wars i mean i saw that in the theater and i watched it when it first aired all the way up until its final episode and just that was just in a way getting star wars movies on tv because it was just so well done there was high production quality to each episode it was almost like getting a mini movie on tv which was awesome but insanely cinematic i I, the first i remember watching the clone wars for through the first time and i don't love all the episodes but i think i suffered from binging six seasons i think if i was able to space it out i would have and i've actually gone back and watched some of the four or five episode arc arclets uh if you will uh that i liked a lot you know in, in like the later seasons and gone back mm-hmm. and rewatched them but man is it cinematic i mean you could see yep. 
it almost felt like Lucas, it was a release of like some of the stuff he tried to pull off in the prequels, and it didn't matter how much money and time he had, he just couldn't do it, and he could get it, do it on, on uh, in cartoon form, and it, it felt like, let's be honest, we say Rogue One is the first r- war movie in Star Wars, but Clone Wars was definitely like an extended war movie. Oh, totally agree. I mean, even on our, our Saga Continues Rogue One review episode, one of my complaints was that I felt the Battle of Scarif didn't live up to, you know, the big war scale that I think they were looking for. I even said on the episode where there are Clone Wars episodes that I think had a better battle <laughs> than the Battle of Scarif, even though I like I like the Battle of Scarif a lot. I just Star Wars has so many, especially when you look at Clone Wars episode that, you know, there's some going to be better than others. And I find that Clone Wars had some where that rivals some of the movie battles. So it was just great getting that on a weekly basis for five years and then mm. uh, a season on Netflix. So. Um, but yeah, once we got that announcement, new Star Wars movies were coming. I was just super excited after I got over the shock of hearing that. I was going great. More Star Wars movies are coming. The long talked about sequel trilogy that I never thought was going to see the light of day is going to happen. <laughs> just the thought of that had me super excited during that time period. But at the same time, there once we knew Disney was acquiring it, there were those questions as far as what's going to happen to clone wars and certain things like that and uh, the extended universe and that type of stuff so there were those questions but it's just as far as movies goes i just was super excited that we were getting more and that the saga was continuing to expand with a sequel trilogy with episode seven eight and nine just the possibilities of that were just so so cool during that time <laughs> just you know imagining what those movies can be about the idea of seeing han luke and leia again what they were we doing in this time period of the galaxy, new characters. So all that was exciting during that time period. And as I'm talking about it and thinking about it right now, it's just crazy to think of how we had no clue then and just this wild speculation that us fans and a lot of people had. But now we're you know, two movies into <laughs> to this new trilogy and we know what happened to those iconic characters. We've been introduced to great new characters. So it's just crazy to think how far we've come since those <laughs> that first few months of the announcement back in 2012 but i was just super super excited about the possibilities of getting new star wars because i thought it was something that wasn't going to happen so i was you know my excitement was through the roof during that time so let's put a pin in rogue one because i in preparation for this i did go back and listen to your guys rogue one podcast um and it's um it, it, it was interesting because there was i think among the fandom despite rogue one's problems there was a giddiness about it because it did feel like from the original trilogy in a lot of ways. And it's the perfect direct prequel to episode four, right? I mean, if nothing else, it makes you want to pop in the the original trilogy immediately after watching Rogue One. Which I finally did a few months ago. I finally watched Rogue One and A New Hope back to back and it was flawless. (laughs) It was such a cool (sighs) Star Wars watching experience. Totally. And that would be, um, so something I want to get to is sort of, because uh, just full disclosure, um, the, the, my, people listening to me a lot know this, Rogue One still is my favorite of the new three movies. But if you had told okay. me that that the one non-Skywalker movie, with three movies in, and I love all of them to death. I, I loved Last Jedi on first viewing. We're going to get to in a sec. Um, and like it more on subsequent viewings. But you told me this was the one that would be my favorite. Now, there's some quirky reasons, some stylistic reasons why I like Rogue One. I love the cast. I love 
love that it's more about the story and setting up the originals than it is about character studies, which is very different. You know, it's just very different. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I do think that, yes, the, the warp side of things um, you know, wasn't as epic on the ground, at least as maybe as it could have. But I also, yeah. I, I make the connection with Jedi powers. When we see Kanan, who's not even a fully trained Jedi do things that Luke and Anakin have never done in live action before on screen, you know, it, there's just a thing that you have to do with your mind for me with the cartoons and the live action where it's like the Jedi are just going to be able to jump up and drop down ridiculous heights in mm-hmm. cartoon form for lots of reasons. It's more interesting. You don't have to spend the money. And so, you know, uh, plus, you know, the the budget to do some of this stuff. Uh, But anyways, uh, the question to to pin for a little down the road is sort of, you know, how do we think Last Jedi is going to age for us? Um, you know, down the road when we are doing the rewatches and the back-to-backs and stuff. Um, and so, you know, to, to, to lead into that territory, so you did the, the very long Last Jedi podcast after, I think, three viewings? How many, how many times did you see it before you guys did your long one? Correct. Yeah, it was three viewings when I when we finally started that podcast. Okay, so that was a few weeks ago. So since you uh, recorded that, have you seen the movie more? And if so, or or even if not, has any major thing changed sort of in your mind? Because I will say, Tim, I, I've talked a lot about you, not by name so much, but as an example of what I, I wish more n- nerd fans would do, which is to suspend immediate judgment on things they don't love immediately, they want to love. And I was just really impressed with what you did with your Twitter feed in particular, where you said, look, guys, I really felt uncomfortable and I'm not not sure how I feel after my first viewing of Last Jedi, but I'm going to see it at least two more times and mostly suspend judgment until then. And I think that totally came through in terms of social media and then definitely on your podcast. Um, and I thought Kyle did a really good job of letting you run that narrative um, of what was going on in your head over what must have been, and let's let's jump in here full, full on, what must have been a very emotional couple weeks for you as someone who was so pumped about The Last Jedi and really just not sure what to think after the first time, but after three, seemed to if not love then like it a lot so for my listeners and by the way listeners i will be linking to that particular episode of saga continues you definitely should check it out but (laughs) in shortened form for my listeners who haven't listened to it what was that sort of emotional almost spiritual journey like from seeing luke skywalker act like a buffoon for the first time to leaving that theater for the third time and going okay there is maybe so much going on here that, as I said, it felt like you were getting clubbed over the head with a lightsaber the first time you saw the movie. Yeah, man, you hit it on right there and say how it was an emotional experience, especially those first few days after I saw it for the first time until I got to see it again. I was yeah. worried about you, man. I was like yeah. really worried. I was concerned. <laughs> I know I don't know you personally, but like I do communicate with Paul online and some of those guys. I was like, I was like genuinely like, God, what's going to happen if he ends up hating this movie? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it was a Star Wars movie experience like no other. That's for darn sure, <laughs> um, especially that first viewing. Because yeah, it was. I came out of it very mixed. I didn't necessarily think it was a bad movie or no. anything. Just some of the directions they went with, as far as Luke and uh, with Ray's parents was, especially on the front of Ray's parents, is something we've been speculating on for two years now. <laughs> I was wondering sure. 
who they're going to be. Is she going to be someone significant if she's not? And I've always been in the hoping she was a Skywalker or a solo camp. And when that didn't get, you know, when that got revealed that her parents were nobodies, that was like, oh, man, <laughs> like a real disappointment for me. And then some of the stuff with Luke where it was just, you know, so different where I didn't think they were going to take the character. I mean, they even prepared us a little bit saying, you know, this is Ryan Johnson, Mark Hamill in interviews are saying, you know, they're talking about how it's one of those scenarios where you don't meet your heroes. They like won't live up to your expectations. And I was like kind of prepared for that, but not to the extent that they took it in the actual movie. So, you know, it's one of those things with every star Wars movie for me where you just, you got to see it twice, no matter, or maybe even a few more times to, before you get your full opinion. Cause it's just such a, you know, almost a surreal experience when you're seeing a new star Wars movie for the first time. And you're just taking everything in for the first time. It's coming at you or some new stuff you wouldn't expect. So it's always seen as a new Star Wars movie for the first time. You can have different re- initial reactions because when I first saw The Force Awakens, I really liked it after my first viewing. It was, you know, it was the opposite with The Last Jedi. So, But the more you see a Star Wars movie, that a new one that comes out, the better perspective you gain for whether it's more stuff you like or more stuff you didn't like, but it's always good to see it more than once. So yeah, that like Friday and especially that Friday after like sleeping on it and just thinking about that movie literally almost every minute of the day that Friday, no matter what I was doing, I was thinking about (laughs) the last Jedi and everything that went down in it. Mm -hmm. But I saw it, I needed to see it right away. So I saw it again Saturday Mm -hmm. and this was, you know, I've heard it from a lot of people, especially with uh, talking with my friend Paul Herman. And boy, you, <laughs> you would have heard our phone conversation that Thursday night after we saw it <laughs> to compare it to how we feel about it now. <laughs> it's like seeing two different movies because we were not too happy. Yeah, I actually when- avoided Paul. No offense, Paul, I love you. I, I avoided Paul's comments about the movie immediately afterwards because he, I expected to immediately have problems with it. Um mm. And that he would just say it because that's why we love Paul because he'll just say it. You know, he's just yep. he's honest. And it's not that you weren't being honest, but you're just kind of a measured guy the way you talk and think about things. And so, but I like that you were public about it. You're like, look, I'm not posting a lot because I'm avoiding the the topic. I'm not because I haven't made up my mind yet. And I'll tell you, Tim. I know a lot of people who watch these movies and they'll only see them once. And I have to yeah. think the fact that the last Jedi has like, still has like a 52% on the audience score on Rotten Tomato, which is total bullshit anyways, as we know, but there are a lot of angry, let's be honest, white, older men. I mean, I'm probably older than you. I'm 36. I, you know, when the prequels came out, I was in high school. So I didn't know what to make of them because I was, um, I, I don't want to sidetrack too much, man, but I know you're you're somewhat of a defender of the prequels, which I respect. And I've mentioned to you before that between you and Paul and the, the guys at the Star Wars un, uh, Underworld, have, and even more so, the younger generation now loving Star Wars because of the prequels, which I never saw coming, has made me completely reassess the prequels, plus the Clone Wars, which make the prequels way cooler, and Rebels, and everything else, and Disney actually continuing to use prequel stuff, whatever they say or not say in the canon you know it's, i think the prequels have aged way better than i was expecting but i was much older I, I, I you don't have to give your age if you don't want to but i'll just say i was a senior when the phantom menace came out and that was the same year that like the matrix talented mr ripley american beauty fight club etc 
uh, American Psycho all came out, like some of the most momentous films of all time. And I was, you know, just getting into quote unquote film. And then I saw the Phantom Menace and I'm going, okay, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are awesome. What the hell else is going on in this movie? I don't understand. And so I was, <laughs> I, I was never a prequel hater. I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand what Lucas was trying okay. to do. But I think they've aged really well, especially when you look at all the shitty movies and movie franchises that have come out since then. There is a lot of heart to those movies, even when they don't always hit. And the lore that came out of those movies is so yes. clutch. I mean... I'm sorry if if you don't if you say you hate the prequels but you love the Snow Kylo relationship it's it's an exact mirror of the Anakin Palpatine relationship in the prequels and it's not an accident and Ryan Johnson way more than JJ has acknowledged his influences from Lucas and the prequels, I think. Definitely. And, uh, and to follow that thought, because um, I want to hear more about this experience, because I heard from you after your first viewing, and then I heard the podcast. I don't know what happened after your second viewing, which is, I want to know when the moment that it clicked. But I will say, I actually uh, was benefited from thinking that The Last Jedi was way overhyped going into it. It's not that my expectations were lower, but I wasn't as convinced about Ryan Johnson as I was about JJ going into it because I okay. love the Star Trek reboot. And I just, you know, like JJ reminds me of Joss Whedon, who's my favorite director. And I just, you know, Force Awakens just spoke to me immediately despite his flaws. And uh, although I love Looper and some of his darker movies, I, you know, I, I know Ryan is a super artsy guy. And so my worry about the movie was that it was going to be too artsy. And Star Wars is not artsy. It's pop culture at its best. And the artistic things, there's never being artistic and artsy, like artsy fartsy. And I was worried that he was going to make it artsy fartsy. And when he didn't, and I was laughing in the first few minutes of the movie already, I was like already into it. So I think I, I, I benefited from that. So what was your aha moment? Was it in the second or the third viewing? Like where, what scene, if you can look back, because this fascinates me, you know, because I'm, I'm a person that knows almost immediately when I see movies if I'm going to like them. And I'm already looking, I made a joke about how like in my head I was buying The Last Jedi DVD like halfway through the first viewing. And so <laughs> I'm already thinking of like watching the film six months from now flying to San Francisco on the airplane, you know, three times in a row or whatever uh. <laughs> you know i'm someone who watches i saw age of ultron in the movie theater seven times uh you know oh, like nice. I, I i've seen the star wars movies a million times and like i i like the multiple viewing thing so i was already thinking about this. so what was your aha moment in the second or third viewing before your epic podcast where things started to turn emotionally and just in terms of feels and stuff uh, in, into a more positive direction. Because by the way, I would not have respected you any less if you ended up not liking the movie in the end. But it's undeniable that every podcaster I listen to, male, female, older, younger, at least likes the movie a lot. But some people liked it immediately and some did not. And I think that's great. I think that's good in our movies, right? Because we were all on such a high after Force Awakens and later we noticed how many flaws there were, right? So people are mm. coming in with a more critical eye. So what was your aha moment in, in your second and third viewings where you're like, okay, this is starting to speak to me more? Yeah, it was in the second viewing. And yeah, this was even before I saw it a second time. Um, other people like Paul, who I knew saw it a second time before me, who said, wow, this was, you know, <laughs> a much better experience seeing it for a second time. And so that gave me, you know, more optimism going into it a second time, hopefully coming out of the theater more positive. And that was definitely the case. It definitely worked better for me the second time. And one of the big things 
that, you know, I had trouble processing about Luke on my first viewing was him uh, igniting that lightsaber, attempting, having that thought of wanting to kill Ben Solo there. And for the first time, I was like, oh, man, how could Luke really be thinking that after everything he went through with Vader, seeing the conflict in Vader and, you know, being able to redeem him? Couldn't he think like that for Kylo Ren or Ben Solo at that time, too? Mm. So and when I saw it a second time or the second time and there were giving the recounts of the flashback and it was the final time where they had the flashback where Luke was telling Ray about exactly what happened. And I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe I just the did Kurosawa not moment. It. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't pick up on it fully when I saw it the first time, but Luke's dialogue that third time he was telling about it, how it was just, you know, the quickest of instinct and how that feeling went away so quick and how, you know, he felt immediate shame afterwards, like right, he's looking at that lightsaber, and he's all he saw was a frightened boy whose master had failed him. Like those, his dialogue when he's telling it to Ray really, you know, resonated with me more of saying, okay, how you know that works better for the character, mm. and then you know instead of just being Luke, you know, you know <laughs> having this new uh, feeling that he that seemed so out of character and wanted to kill his nephew. No, it was just so quick, and he just felt immediate shame afterwards, and you could just see the look on his face. But I just think it. it part of that star Wars storytelling that works so well now where as someone who, you know, wanted to do in his mind, do something that he thought would be the greater good for the galaxy, but came to realization that, no, I can't do this. This is just, you know, a young boy here, even though he had, he made a slip up for like the shortest amount of time. It still had grand repercussions for Mm -hmm. the galaxy in such a negative way. I mean, he caught himself in time. He didn't do the act, but it was too late. Kylo saw him, with that ignited lightsaber and you know that just set him off the deep end and just brought you know more chaos into the galaxy so and his eyes were a little screwed up by the way even the third time i thought was interesting he still had a little bit of the yellow eyes or maybe i was just imagining it Mm, maybe a little bit maybe more so than when luke was telling it the first time definitely not to the extreme as a second one no (laughs) which was a great visual cue on repeat viewings where you're like okay never should have bought this bullshit in the first place but you're not really Mm -hmm. sure yeah, I love that part of the movie where like, each version of that telling of that event is, you know, Luke looks a different way. And it's the third one where that seems, you know, the most yeah. logical of what would go down in that scenario. Can I, can, can so, I ask you really quick, roughly sure. how, how old you are or what generation you're from? Oh, yeah, I'm 34. So oh. I grew up in Star Wars in, like during the 80s on VHS. So. Yeah, okay, so we grew up in the same exact generation. I was born in 1981. Yeah. I watched... I watched Star Wars for the first time in like 85 or 86 and never looked back. Um there was a number of reasons why I felt confident that you were going to end up liking this movie. One was Kyle loved it. And, uh, but I thought Kyle did a nice job again. I don't know him personally, but just following you guys on Twitter, uh, the nice job of kind of giving you space to, to figure it out, you know, and like in an alternate universe, it would be really interesting to hear the podcast of you still not liking it and talking for yeah. six hours about why not. <laughs> and Kyle says at the beginning of the podcast, if I recall that he almost wished that you, you liked it a little bit less. That's right. Yeah. But I'm glad you did it for so many reasons. I'm glad you liked it more. But one of the reasons I knew you were going to like this is because all true fans of Star Wars from the 80s, especially young boys, love Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill kicked it out of the fuck or actually hit it out of the fucking park. I mean, Mark Hamill performance of a lifetime and 
and the, I think, again, I really internalized Ryan and him constantly saying, leading up to the movie, telling the anecdote about how Mark was very, very hesitant to take on this material, and it ended up being, like, the most transformative acting experience of his life. And Mark Hamill cannot tell a lie. And I knew he wouldn't just be doing that, you know, to, to, uh, to appease fans. Now he's having to come out and, like, explain himself, which is bullshit. He shouldn't have to explain shit. If you know, that if you, got so blown out of proportion. Everyone's saying, oh, Mark Hamill does not agree with this version of Luke. But, but even they in failed the to original mention. interview, <laughs> he said, however, once exactly. I started acting it, it was amazing. And I loved mm-hmm. it. And you can see him having fun being a piece of shit. Let's be honest. He is being a total dick to this young girl at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. you know what i mean it, actually it's more of a prequel to a type approach than a you know like obi-wan and even yoda were mostly gentle with luke in the original trilogy and the prequels let's be honest yoda and even obi-wan are assholes to anakin and that's sort of what was going on here <laughs> and that's part of what you know even what mark hamill said in interviews too where it's good that they're not doing the same thing. It's not just Obi-Wan yes. teaching Luke again, Yoda teaching Luke. Luke teaching Rey is something totally different. And, you know, what's, what do I want from new Star Wars movies? Not to repeat the same old things. I mean, it's great when certain moments and scenes mirror other moments from other uh, films of the saga because George Lucas always compares it to, you know, like rhyming and stanzas and poetry, stuff like that, where there will be things that repeat. But you want something different, too. And the, the fact of Luke training Rey is something that's never been done before in a Star Wars movie. I welcome that. So that part of Luke, I didn't have a problem with even on the first viewing of it, you know, how, how much of a jerk he acted in the get-go because I knew he was going to be coming around eventually by the time we get to the end of the movie, which he did. But yeah, just but that moment in particular with him uh, in, the, oh, in the flashback wanting to strike down Ben Solo, that was one of the big issues I had when even, you know, making me feel better about it even after I saw it the second time of talking with Kyle about it of how, you know, that's not so out of character for Luke that I was thinking at the time and maybe other fans still might think now because he had that moment similar in Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. when Luke or when Vader, you know, was telling him about how he's going to bring Leia to the dark side and Luke just snapped. He ignited that lightsaber and just went all out and he eventually came to his senses and did not kill Darth Vader and shut off that lightsaber and it's kind of the same scenario with Ben Solo where, you know, he had that feeling again of, you know, in Return of the Jedi, he wanted to protect his sister. It's always going to kill Darth Vader. And The Last Jedi, he wants to still protect his sister and everyone that he loves, as he said in the movie, by taking down what's going to be a dark force. But, you know, just like he did in Return of the Jedi, he realized it's, you know, that's not <laughs> the way to do things. But yeah. it was just too late in the, say, in the case with Ben Solo. So mm-hmm. all that stuff, watching it again, uh, talking about it with Kyle and other friends, just putting things into perspective and showing me different ways to view it is what really helped me, you know, see how I think it's, you know, just a great bit of storytelling there for Luke and the progression of his character. But but I think what makes the movie great is not that you were like somehow behind the trend, but that specifically a movie like this challenges us in ways we didn't see coming and that mm-hmm. the long burn of you learning, not learning, coming to to really like it, it is what makes it great. 
it, it, you know what I mean? It, including some of the flaws. And you actually pointed out a couple in the podcast I want to get to in a bit, like Maz, for example, that I hadn't even considered. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you pointed out, I, 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 was, uh, I was trying to warm up for this podcast with some practice questions. And one of them was how, when I go into your guys' review podcast, I tend to start on Kyle's end because I'm not a nitpicky guy in general with movies that I love and think are handled well. So like... <laughs> Other than Star Killer Base, which really pissed me off in The Force Awakens, the sort of you know rebooted nostalgia of A New Hope bothered me not yeah. at all, it, or, or less than most people. Even though I could understand why it bothered people, it didn't really bother me because I was getting ninety five percent, you know, of what. I, I I wanted, and so when people say, "Well, the first half of Rogue One is so slow," I'm like, "Well, okay, but how about this scene and this scene? How about Jin watching her father's father's hologram and just crying, yeah. and Saw Gerrera and the Death Star blowing up the planet, and them getting out, and you know Diego Luna's character? Like, I mean, there's so much character development in Rogue One that people just gloss over because, again, most people see movies once, maybe twice, you know. And as we know, sometimes when people watch movies at home on like Christmas, it's not in the ideal movie watching condition, you know. And Rogue One is certainly a movie you could." goes off on if you're not really engaged in it early on um but but like rogue one was a movie that i loved on my first viewing partially because i knew i was going to like it more on subsequent viewings if that makes sense just knowing myself um whereas like the two avengers movies i love the first time and i love the 15th time you know like i just uh, it, there's it just depends on the film but what sets star wars apart from even the uh, marvel films and a lot of these movies is that they are dark and complicated and man if you could have predicted that disney would not only bought star wars but made it its most dark and complicated uh, franchise that it owns in Disney proper, it never would have thought mm -hmm. it. You know, that, that Star yeah, Wars is Disney's... I had someone complain on my podcast they killed too many people in Last Jedi. I was like, dude, do you realize how many people complain about how few people Marvel and other Disney properties kill? You know, like, <laughs> they have had no shame. And can we just quickly take a second and praise Kathleen Kennedy? I mean, oh, yeah. I, I want to take a second and praise <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy. And, and again, it's not a surprise that the people who have gone on an all-out hate campaign against Disney and The Last Jedi in particular have self-identified as old-school white men, essentially, who, like Luke, old-school Luke and Han, as they see it, and they, they want what they want, and they don't want change. And, and Kathleen is really trying to respect George's legacy. And the people that don't know that Kathleen and George go back like 40 years, and her and George and Steven Spielberg and so forth are close friends have a very similar vision for things and she's not trying to respect him while moving things forward i don't know i'm going to shut up on this but do you have anything to say about kathleen kennedy and just what lucasfilm has done in general with the movies in particular the last few years oh i mean i thought she's done a great job i mean you said it too as far as like at least in my opinion you know honoring what lucas came before what did before about taking it to new places and that's the thing i've seen all these like articles or YouTube videos, Kathleen Kennedy betrayed Lucas oh, and Lucas is basically like, Oh, it's like really <laughs> like those, I hate seeing those headlines where it's going to be farther from the truth. And if you were got, I don't know if you've had a chance to get the art of the last Jedi book. Um, I don't, I have the visual dictionary, but I, I need to get the art book. Yeah. Yeah. Because not only is the beautiful artwork in there, but it, it is almost like a mini uh, making of book, which is great. Oh. I mean, it was like that with force awakens and rogue one, but mm -hmm. it, for the one with the last Jedi, I was, you know, kind of surprised of how 
much they took of Lucas's outline and used it as far as, you know, Luke going into exile and Ray being one to find him. Cause we always kept hearing how they didn't use Lucas's outline as very small bits and pieces of it. So I was kind of surprised they still stuck to one of the major plot points that Lucas had intended in, you know, again, just honoring what he did before. And that's one of the things I love about the last Jedi is how they handled the death of Luke. I mean, uh, I mean, Kyle said it on the episode how he thought if episode eight was going to kill Luke Skywalker off, there's no way I'm going to like it. But it ended up being great. <laughs> you know, totally. how they did it. Just even for Han Solo too, these l- iconic legacy characters, not just Star Wars, but the movies in general. And I've talked about, you know, how important Luke Skywalker was to me as a kid growing up as, you know, a, a fictional character. And just seeing that character I grew up watching pretty much my whole life actually seeing the depth of that character and just how beautifully it was handled mm. and you know just how you know going back to the whole thing with expectations and one of what we wanted to see of luke was that final battle sequence with him and kylo ren did i have that in mind when i was speculating and getting excited for episode eight mm. no i was expecting you know luke to put on display of you know cool force powers or whatnot but once you see it this it's the perfect Thing for Luke to do in his final moments. Again, I'm going back to Return of the Jedi because that was my favorite movie. By the way, my favorite Star Wars movie. Still, Return of the nice. Jedi. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> because that's one of the most defining moments for Luke in the entire saga is when he decides not to stop fighting Darth Vader and throw yeah. his lightsaber away. Yeah, and I think the Last Jedi, what Luke did at the end there, encompassed like encompassed that as well, but almost even took it to another level yeah. of, you know. Even though we didn't see Luke, you know, knock down all the ATM six walkers, do force powers, he was still giving the greatest display of force powers we've ever seen in a Star Wars movie. Being able to project himself through the force like that and to make it look like he's physically there and to and buy oh no go ahead go ahead buddy go ahead I was just gonna say and then yeah. to, to buy time for the resistance to escape to stall not to take down the first order and fight them but just you know not fighting. Just like he didn't return to the Jedi to save the ones that he loved. And I just loved how that just a great final moment for the character of Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like we said, he started out as a jerk in the beginning, but he came full circle as far as being into the great hero that we knew and loved growing up. But it was just his, you know, final time to do it. But it came at a big mm-hmm. moment. So it was just really, really well done. And this is going to lead into two more reasons why I felt confident that you were going to end up really liking the movie. Um and in that final scene, if you when you rewatch it, you realize that until he touches Princess Leia's hands, she's not totally sure that there's something weird going on. Like she mm. maybe has a suspicion, but when he touches her hands and she looks at him on repeat viewings, you could tell that Leia knows what's going on and just mm. isn't going to say anything. Yeah. But mm. the fact that Leia who I want to get back to, even though she didn't display full force powers till this movie, so I want to talk to you about, does have amazing psychic abilities spanning the galaxy. And Kylo, who we know is one of the great mental manipulators ever, and Rey is the only one who's been able to resist him, basically, over the course of we know yeah. him, 
that he can't sense that that's not Luke there. It's like I, I think it's lost on people that that's not exactly a hologram. Maybe this is a good place to jump into lore. I don't know what to call that an astral projection or something, but it's way more real than a hologram because you know that Kylo would have been trying to get into his brain unless Luke yeah. had just so psyched him out so much that he didn't even consider the fact that that might not be Luke. Yeah, I just think. In- I also think Luke being just on another level as far as uh, his force training and Jedi training and his skill level with the force that he, you know, Kylo wouldn't have a chance either way as far as uh, either detecting what he was doing or being able to do any, you know, uh, you know, trying to get to his mind. I just think he knows Luke is so far above him that he knew he'd be no match for him in that. Maybe his best bet would be in a lightsaber battle. Yeah, but what was Kylo's very first thing that Kylo tried to do the very first time he sees Ray, what's the very first thing he tries to do? Oh, no, yeah, he definitely goes for the Force. <laughs> he goes, you will tell me where Luke Skywalker yeah. is, right? So you'd think the very first trick, quote-unquote, he'd play on this new clean-cut Luke that comes out of nowhere would be to scan his brain. So that means mm. that Luke has not only projected his like spirit and the image of his body, but has either A projected his uh, essentially a version of his brain to that spot so psychically he is there or b is able to mind control kylo from that distance or both either or both of those is just spectacular and as far as i know it is is the greatest accomplishment of a jedi in uh, the new canon Uh, am i wrong on that no i would totally agree with that and i think i said this on our episode too where i hope luke is the very first force user at Jedi or Jedi to do that. Cause I think that would just, you know, add to the legacy of Luke Skywalker, just how you know strong the force that he was oh, that yeah. to, for him to be able to project himself through the force to make it look like he's physically there that far away across the galaxy is just amazing and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's like I said, we didn't get the full on, you know, Luke using the force to fight his enemies, but we saw the greatest display of using force powers in this movie. It just done differently, but it was just fits so well with the character. And honestly, they've been very restrained in the other canon works. People complain about the Ahsoka book because they say not that much happens in it, but like, I kind of like that a lot of the character books have just been character studies. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think a book about like how many more cool things can Ahsoka do with the Force would have been nearly as interesting as her trying not to use the Force the whole time. Which no, totally. And to see how she grows as a character in doing her, her most trying time, especially at this point in the in the saga after yeah. the events of the Jedi Purge and Order sixty six of all that. Yeah, so I totally agree with you. And like, and the, we did get yeah. some pretty cool reveals in that book too, where we learned how. Oh yeah. Uh, the oh, you know the Sith bleed yeah. the Kyber crystals oh, to make God. the blades red. Oh God. That was awesome, dude. I got theories. I got so many theories about Ahsoka in the movies. I I want to save. Um, um, the bleeding, the Siege of Mandalore stuff, which they could make an oh. entire movie on. Um, no, I'm hoping for that. <laughs> yeah, the early days of Fulcrum working for Bail Organa and like her potential relationship with young Leia. I think they could totally recast in a couple of years the teenage, like a 13, 14-year-old Leia being friends with a young, uh, 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 but slightly older Ahsoka or something. Mm-hmm. is something we could see. Um, the problem as many have pointed out is no one sounds like Carrie Fisher. It doesn't matter if she's 19 year old or 60 year old Carrie Fisher. It's like impossible to do her voice. And the person who I think does the best Carrie Fisher Leia voice is January Lavoie, who did the audio book for Bloodline, which is still my favorite book. And partially it's because of the new canon and partially it's because she sounds exactly like sort of more mature Leia to me. 
Um, okay. The other voice actresses in the shows, I don't think have nailed it quite as much. I do want to get back to Leia, but dude, the number one reason why I thought you would eventually at least really enjoy The Last Jedi was Kylo Ren. I thought Adam Driver stole this movie from the first trailer up until the end of this film. Obviously with Ray, but I had no doubt that Daisy Ridley was going to kill it again. But the level of difficulty for a villain as subtle as Kylo, who you constantly love and hate both at the same time and back and forth. Look, I love Marvel stuff. It's very fun. Loki is so fun. Tom Hiddleston is a great actor who is nothing like the character he portrays. Loki is a tough character, but Kylo is the most subtle and interesting bad guy of this generation, and I was so impressed. And you being an Empire guy, which I want to get back to in a longer segment coming up soon... I thought there was no way you weren't going to like the Kylo stuff more and more as uh, your viewings went on. True or untrue? Very true. Yeah, <laughs> I pretty much had no issues with Kylo even on my first deal. It was not of having issues, just a matter of like he's making – he might be the one that turns the movie from very good to great, I guess is what I'm saying. For me. No, yeah, because I just thought – it just took the character to, I mean, he was great in The Force Awakens. I think he went to another level in this one, especially getting more of his backstory. He became more of a sympathetic character, in my opinion, in this one because, you know, of that moment with Luke in the flashback. Sure, he looked at it from his point of view. You can understand how he would view it as Luke's trying to kill him right there and how that would set him off. So, and then just, oh, I thought it was genius of how they got rid of Snoke in this movie. And now Kylo is going to be elevated to a seat of power that, you know, we never seen, you know, a Skywalker character get to. I mean, that was Darth Vader's goal to rule a galaxy and the Empire, be the one in charge. He never got to do that. And now Kylo Ren is in charge of the First Order and seeing him pretty much rule over the galaxy. We'll see for how long. But the potential of that is just, you know, so fascinating and exciting to me. I just can't wait to see that in nine. So, yeah, just everything they did with Kylo Ren, even giving you planting little seeds that maybe he could be redeemed and raise all that bit of hope in him. And for that amazing fight sequence with the Praetorian guards, we've got that where they were working together, which was amazing. But then Kylo Ren still kind of went back to his ways of, you know, wanted to be in control and rule the galaxy. So I just thought they did some amazing stuff with the character mm-hmm. that took him even further to being maybe uh, it's it's a toss up between him and Ray. They're both great characters yes. in this new trilogy. So yes. it's kind of for me anyway. Hard it's like to pick Neo one. and Smith, right? I mean, one needs <laughs> the other. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, the Kylo Ren was just awesome in this movie from start to finish. You're right. Okay, so I let's, guess the let's, only no go ahead. The only nitpick I would have yes. is needed more time with him in his helmet, <laughs> which is gone, but which which may come back now that Snoke is is gone for sure. Yeah, um, I'm hoping. I think I think it will. Uh, maybe a new form. Um, Let's talk, let's talk a little film theory here. Nothing too heady, but like I, I think it's important to talk about this, which is I am not a big TV guy in general. I, I, I And part of it is because like stuff like Game of Thrones doesn't really appeal to me because plot twists in sort of the traditional sense don't really do it for me. Like when Vader came out at the end of Rogue One... It was so glorious and it completely took me by surprise in terms of the level of viciousness of it. But we all knew that Vader was going to do something crazy in that movie. We just never thought they would execute it so brilliantly at the very end, right? But like, we sort of knew Vader was going to be doing something. Yeah. And in this movie, I knew, by the way, 
no one's talking about the trailer that we thought was misleading us did not mislead us at all. The trailer misled us by not misleading us. So we all looked at the trailer, which some of us hypothesized at the time that they were misdirecting us by not misdirecting us. And that uh, him reaching out to Ray and, you know, taking down Snoke, which people thought was like too obvious, ended up being the thing. So the film theory I wanted to bring up to you is I don't care if I predict something or not, because let's be honest, we've all seen movies, good and bad, where there have been quote unquote plot twists, but sometimes the plot twists are unearned and they're just to shock and surprise you. Whereas I would rather expect something coming, but not know exactly how it was going to happen. I felt the entire movie that he was going to kill Snoke both for himself and at least in terms of his own justification because of something related to Rey. But I didn't know exactly how we were going to get there. And I think it's more rewarding as a viewer, I don't know how you feel about this, especially on repeat viewings, to kind of know where it's going and, and be on a journey with the filmmakers and the actors to get there, even if it's not a total shocker. But, you know, like when you see that lightsaber move, you're going, oh no, he's not going to, is he going to do this? Is he really, you know, but, but does that make sense that like, it wasn't such a shocking plot twist to me, just the way I thought Han's death wasn't a shocking plot twist, but the way we mm-hmm. got to Han's death and experienced Han's death is what's so brilliant. And why I think, you know, JJ is a brilliant filmmaker if, for that scene, if nothing else, um, thoughts about that general theory about, about filmmaking. No, I totally agree with that. I mean, there's certain, like you said, I going back to The Force Awakens, I was spoiled on Han Solo dying. Even not, I think we all kind of assume. Were you straight up go. spoiled? Like you were spoiled, like his son is going to kill him and his son is Kylo Ren? Yeah, mm, oh, I was. Oh, that sucks. But at the, at the same time, I didn't know when or where it was going to happen during the movie, what's going to cause it. And, and you like still you said, don't want it to happen, right? I bet you exactly, are sitting right. there going, I know everything in my brain, Tim. This is Tim talking to Tim. Tim telling himself, <laughs> Tim, I know I've been spoiled, and this is clearly the moment where Kylo's going to kill mm-hmm. his dad, but I still don't want it to happen. So maybe, and that's great filmmaking, right? You're thinking maybe something will still change. Yeah, and just how, like you said, how beautifully it was done, the dialogue, the music, everything. Like I was not expecting it to go down that the way. The red light, yeah. Mm-hmm, and it was just perfect and same thing with i wasn't spoiled on snoke dying but i was kind of preparing myself for speculating that he might be taken out in this movie just because ryan johnson and the circus all the interviews they're saying about snoke is just you know they're not putting a lot of importance on the character and how they're really downplaying it which made me think mm, they could be you know snoke have snoke just serve one type of purpose for this trilogy and then get rid of him and have some new threat be the main focus but little did i know it was going to be uh, kylo <laughs> the way he killed him taking him out and then kylo elevating to what looks to be the main threat for episode nine so I, the way they did it was beautiful done this is we talked about with han the way they got rid of snoke and that epic team up between ray and kylo ren was done so so well every time i see the movie i've seen it four times now and my last viewing was just a few days ago this past weekend it wasn't a full theater but no matter how large or small the crowd is, someone always claps when Everyone that cheers. lightsaber oh, goes yeah. and Ray catches it. Yeah, it's just you know such a cheer moment, and it's just so awesome. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Where you're, how you said where it doesn't even if you know something, that's not necessarily the important thing. It's how it's executed and how it's done that's mm. going to make you really resonate with you and have that emotional impact, which mm. both of those instances did. So yeah, I agree. Mm. 
All right, so here, here's my proposed game plan for the second half of the podcast, which is I have one more question having to do with Kylo and Rey with Last Jedi, and then I want to start talking about the future um, as well as other canon. I also want to talk about the Empire because you're someone who I think um, really sells why it's important for the Empire to be evil and cool, um, which most people don't get, I think. Um, and... Uh, um, does that sound like a, like a good plan? And then we'll talk some like Clone Wars Rebels and, and predictions for the, for, the, for the future? Sure. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Awesome. All right. So one or two more quick points uh, about The Last Jedi. Uh, I, I don't think I ever got your response or, or processed it. Did you, have you seen it more than three times? Yeah, I've seen it four times now. Yeah, me too. I've seen it four. I'm thinking of fifth in like a week or two before it leaves theaters just for old time's sake, but I don't know. Yeah, I probably have one more viewing. I'll probably see it with because I know I have mm. some family who still wants to see it again. So yep. if they're gonna go, I'll go. <laughs> I, I've joked actually that actually with Rogue One, I saw it only three times in theaters on purpose because Rogue One is definitely a mood movie. Like I need to be in the mood for Rogue One, mm. and I didn't want to, you know, like part of the reasons I saw Avengers age of Ultron seven times in the theater was because I was very uh, ill. I'm fine now, but I was very ill during the first Avengers and didn't see Avengers in the theater. And so I was okay. sort of overcompensating. I also love age of Ultron more than most people think it's super underrated and think the Marvel movies have not been quite as good since Joss Whedon left. I also started my podcast. I'm about to hit my three year anniversary, man. Um, oh, and nice. uh, I, I actually in sort of a, my pre Bizzlecast was called Poodoo cast. And there were these, like <laughs> five minutes philosophy hits on star wars and i'm gonna bring up the very first one to, to go on to the next topic with you um about sort of how memory operates with star wars um and to lead us into some of the other topics um but i i, I would be remiss if we don't bring up kylo and ray and I, I i want to stress again man that it's not that I suddenly like Attack of the Clones. Like, I cannot watch that movie. And, and I'm not trying oh. to throw shade on anybody <laughs> that loves me. that movie. I know I am. I, but, but it's not hate. It's just, it's just taste. I mean, you know, there are movies... No, I got you, man. You know, like, there are movies that I love that I just can't watch a lot of times. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, and there sure. are movies that I respect that I can't watch a lot of times. And... I love the Obi-Wan stuff in that movie. It's hard for me to watch Natalie Portman not be full on Natalie Portman. And, and, and there's no one's fault. It's just, you know, like not everything happened the way we wanted to. However, the rise post Force Awakens of younger Star Wars podcasters, but specifically, I'm sure you have noticed, f talented, smart, funny, cool, young female Star Wars podcasters in the last couple of years. Um, you know, uh, to, to the point there's an entire podcast devoted to the character of Padme and it's actually really good. Mm -hmm. It's like five young women who all love Star Wars that do Star Wars podcasts and they get together and talk about Padme every couple months, why she's an underrated character. It's fascinating to me. So the, the, the realization, the understanding of how important the prequels to, were to people who are much younger than me at the time or just in a different frame of mind, you know, I, I, I kind of get. But I will say, leading well up into this movie, before this movie was released, I mean, even right after The Force Awakens, women in, in general, but young women in particular, were really fascinated with 
there being some sort of relationship. It didn't have to be, uh, you know, romantic or sexual, but some sort of complicated relationship between Kylo and Ray. Women in general across the board, including podcasters that identify as strong feminists, it, it, it is something that I noticed across the board. Whereas many men, especially older men, were like, he killed Han Solo, he's evil, he's irredeemable, he's a mind rapist, you know, all these things, all of which are understandable, want nothing to do with it. And I think that Ryan Johnson struck a pretty good middle ground in this movie of them having a connection without it getting unnecessarily and unbelievably kind of romantic. I do think, for me personally, I want to throw this to you about Ray and Kylo going forward in this movie, he clearly is smitten with her, in my opinion. She's not interested in him in that way, I don't think. Uh, but I, there is a complicated relationship. I, I don't think most people, any gender or age, want Raylo straight up. But I think the movies are better served by them having a complicated relationship. Um, what, what do you make of all this? Yeah, well, going into it, I was always uh, hoping if they were going to have a relationship, I wanted it to be the brother and sister relationship. Have it be, you know... The, the, there's uh, probably go on forever the possibilities he ended up being a solo and how that would work but I just think it, the whole going with the whole Star Wars family drama or the Skywalker saga having that conflict between a brother and sister the light and dark I thought would have been cool but I also agree with what you're saying how what we actually got Ryan Johnson did you know strike a good balance as far as creating this conflict and relationship between them but it's strictly through the force i mean when i saw it i didn't necessarily get any you know romantic relationship vibes um once you know they were having that force vision and they were touching hands and then they were together in the elevator i just think they were just two you know people who you know were felt alone for most of their lives finally finding that someone they could connect with and feel like you know they're needed and though just one's on the light and one's on the dark so i'm all for i think that relationship and special connection is there between them but it's just you know strictly through the force and nothing else which i'm i'm okay with and it works in the grand narrative scheme when it comes to star wars because i like snoke's dialogue when they're in that throne room how he says um talking to kylo that i warned you how when you rise to power the light would rise as well to meet that and both kylo ren and snoke just assumed that was going to be luke but the fact that it is ray and someone so unexpected to, you know, to be on the level of Kylo Ren, just on the light side, I think immediately puts that special connection that they have and kind of this conflict and rivalry that they're going to have, regardless of, you know, their blood relatives or romantically involved, they do have a special connection now that only, only the two of them will have. And I think I'm just excited for the possibilities of moving forward for episode nine, how's that going to be? Because, um, as the, one of the last time or the last scenes in episode eight was where, you know, they're having that last uh, force uh, mind connection where they're seeing each other. He's looking at her boarding the Falcon and she's looking out and she just, you know, shuts the door on the Falcon. I kind of took it as symbolizing that she's shutting the door forever on Kylo Ren or the hope that Ben Solo is going to be redeemed. And like, again, this, you know, they're going to meet up probably for, you know, one more final climactic lightsaber duel in episode nine. But just the fact, I just can't wait to see where they're at as characters when episode nine starts and just uh, where things are at in the galaxy, where them as individuals are at and, you know, what's it going to be like for them to see each other again? Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's just going to, even from Force Awakens to Last Jedi, you know, Rey and Kylo Ren had great 
moments together through those forced mind visions, seeing the aftermath of what happened in The Force Awakens with Kylo Ren killing Han Solo and Rey actually confronting him about that. I loved all that stuff. So the fact that we're going to hopefully get you know, more layers to the relationship after the events of The Last Jedi for Episode Nine has me really excited. So right now I'm, you know, I'm happy with where their uh, relationship is at and how it's mainly just strictly through the Force. Even though I was, I would think having them be, you know, blood relatives might have added more to the dramatic and thematic yeah, storytelling. That's I'm going to push that, you on this one. I'm going to push you on this one. I also think that's the easy way out because we've seen so much blood relation stuff, and I do. And that's true too. I totally. Yeah. Yeah. get that as well so and i, I want to put a, i want to put a pin in that particular thing because I, I specifically the last main topic i want to talk about is the whole raise parent bloodlines thing because okay. i think that's a really important social political historical theme in the movie um whatever raised parentage turns out to be um i do want to talk about that in particular i do think it was more interesting knowing or at least me i never thought they were going to be related and from the beginning of this particular movie i always felt like there was sexual tension there now of course leia kisses luke at least three times in various ways in the original trilogy (laughs) so you know i mean we've seen this before obviously i never thought she'd be a skywalker maybe she'd be a kenobi maybe we'll get back to this if we have time at the end but i think it was better served that there was a tension i thought the scene with him having his shirt off was meant for like laughs and i thought was hilarious hilarious and those like meant to break the tension a little bit and people miss like that's a lot of subtle stuff what you know what she says to him when he doesn't have a shirt on you think she's gonna say can you put a shirt on i believe she says can't you put a cowl on or something like she doesn't care about his body she doesn't want to see his face basically but again that can be both them acting like little children who kind of have a crush on each other right like i feel like it's not romantic or sexual in an adult way but they do kind of act to one another the way that like little kids kids you know like little boys and girls or whatever who make uh-huh. fun of each other but really have a crush on one another kind of thing like i yeah. did get that vibe especially for someone like ben who's been so sheltered in a way and has never experienced anything as pure as love before i do think he's smitten with let's put aside whether the fact they still may or may not be related or whatever i do think he is smitten with her from a romantic standpoint right we'll leave sex out of it that's never really a part of star wars i, I think the only Look, I I think Felicity Jones and Diego Luna had ridiculous sexual chemistry in Rogue One, made that relationship work in a very, very small, uh, physical chemistry, I should say, in in a small period of time that they were able to sell a semi-romance between those two characters who had very little time together on screen. The the Leia Han thing is an old school Hollywood romance. It's more what I'm talking about here a little bit. And the look that he gives her when he kills Snoke and he he's begging her to come with him, right? Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't need her. Like, he does not, like, from a logistical standpoint at that moment, Kylo Ren does not need Rey, really, to do what he wants to do. But he keeps sure. saying, please, please. And then one more time, and then, like, very quietly, almost like he's begging, like, please come with me. I don't know. It, it's sort of, you know, like, maybe I'm putting myself too much in these two people's positions, but, like, it did feel like the last desperate attempt of two people who have an attraction that's beyond just a brother sister or friendship but can never be almost like romeo and juliet but but less tragic in the sense of they're in control of their destinies right and that the their battle over the lightsaber there was sort of a a physical manifestation of that tug of war and that her shutting Mm -hmm. him out at the end 
was like an official rejection. Like, I don't think she officially rejected him until she shut the door on him at the end and he had that look. I mean, come on, man. Whether it's us or other people, we know what it's like to be rejected occasionally. (laughs) And like, that's the look. I I don't know if that's what they were going for, but what Adam Driver played on his face in those two scenes was being rejected by a girl that he did respect and did fear, but did also have feelings for was my feeling. But I think the Mm. fact that it's ambiguous is a tribute to, to Ryan's interpretation of how JJ set that up. No. Yeah. That's a good point to look at it too. And, you know, just adding to that, that's another reason I love that whole throne room moment too. Just the, after the fight, just the disappointment that both characters have with each other in that moment where Ray thought, you know, she brought Ben to the light. She, She, she did what she set out to do. And then, you know, Ben or Kylo Ren there thinking, yes, I found my, you know, partner to rule the galaxy so i'm strong with the force who could rule with me but then both of them rejecting each other it's just you know it's just a great moment my favorite moment of the movie and then just one of the top star wars sequences totally ever i think that whole throwing sequence is superb yeah, there's so much great stuff in that one sequence and if i could just build on that too um and we'll tie back to with um the the, the final luke scene what makes there's so many things that make star wars great but one of the things that makes star wars great is that as awesome as the sort of Avengers style fight was in the throne room and they use slow motion, which we've never seen before, which was awesome. In fact, people make fun of the slow motion in wonder woman. I've seen wonder woman a million times. I love wonder woman. I think that that and last Jedi are my favorite blockbuster movies of the year easily, but I I, I like the slow motion in wonder woman. I actually wish we had a little slow-mo in the lightsaber battle. It almost felt too fast at times, but that's fine. I understand why he just teased it. But the fact that the amazing battle was almost overshadowed from an audience standpoint by what happened after the battle, only star Wars can do. Right. (laughs) And it's the same thing with Mm -hmm. Luke. Think of how many movies where if you were seeing it for the first time or even like a shorter, fran- smaller franchise, you find out the person's not actually there and they're a hologram the whole time. You're going, oh, man, that was lame. Which, but this was I'll way honest, cooler. I, that's what I felt the first time I saw it. Like, oh, really? Luke's not really there? That's oh, kind of okay. a out. But then after seeing it again the second time, like I talked about earlier, just how Interesting. better it actually is that he wasn't there. I think it's a crowd thing too. I never saw it with a crowd that didn't gasp and cheer when they saw Luke hovering like the Buddha above the rock each time because, dude, this is what Star Wars is about. Spiritual power outweighs physical power. Mm-hmm. And we do hear Darth Vader say it one single time, right? In the very first movie, it says the power to destroy a, you know, a planet is nothing compared to the power of the force or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh-huh. So Anakin has a brief moment of clarity that the spiritual power of the force is way strong, uh, more potent than the physical power of the force. And that is something that Anakin never truly understood, that Kylo doesn't understand, and that Luke, when he is at his best, understands, as you referenced with Return of the Jedi, and why I love, one of the reasons I love Return of the Jedi is he wins that final battle with his words and with his morals and with his sort of, you know, spiritual dominance mm. over, over yeah. right? Over Emperor and Lord Vader. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and, and again, just how he did it again here in the last Jedi, just on a different, in a different way, but on a much higher scale, I think, which again, just makes it such a fitting end for the character. So yeah, <laughs> so good. So the final last Jedi uh, point I want to make, and we can lead uh, into um, some other topics is, is Leia, which is, I've been 
my feeling is I was hoping they weren't going to force a Leia death in this movie mm-hmm. um, because we knew that they wrapped even additional photography before she passed. I mean, the cut was basically done before she passed away. Um, and so if they had forced it in post-production, that would have been really upsetting, which is why when I thought she was going to die early on, I, I almost walked out of the movie theater, not in like <laughs> protest, but just like, I can't watch the rest of the movie knowing that they just did this. Like, this is <laughs> bullshit. And I was expecting you to absolutely hate the Leia coming back to life scene. <laughs> oh, um, really? But you took you your expression of it. I'd love to hear you uh, tell the Bizzlecast listeners. Um, it, it, it is exactly my feeling, which is that I may have manifested it slightly different from a visual standpoint. But to see the full Leia powers finally, and it makes sense in a sort of fight or flight, life or death situation that they would engage subconsciously, makes total sense to me. Um, I love space opera and sci-fi from Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars. The bottom line is when you go from a pressurized cabin to space, your body would explode immediately. So all of these visions and these sci-fi properties, even when you die, that you just kind of frost up and slowly die in space. So for her to even not explode in space and be able to fly herself back, I was imagining, man, something more like Neo bending the Matrix. That was what was going on in my head, (laughs) was that she was, because we know that the Force, and we know about Virgences, you know, I know how heavily you want to get into philosophy. We know about Virgences in the Force. Basically, they warp space and time the way large gravity bodies do, essentially. And so that's why crazy things happen in planets and people and spaces and this galaxy where where the force virgences are strong. And so the flying to me was more of a manifestation of her like warping space and time. And they even slowed down Poe and Finn way big time while she was flying to the ship. I mean, that, that was for dramatic effect, obviously. And then banging silently on the windows is what really sold it to me. And the bottom line is from the moment she flies out to when they pull her into the ship is about two and a half minutes. So it's not like they linger on an insane amount of time. So even though I would have done something a little bit more matrixy with that moment, I was just thrilled to get a full on Leia manifestation of, of force powers especially when it served the plot and character so well thoughts no yeah i agree i was first off surprised they had that and again i i knew she wasn't good they're going to she wasn't going to die in that sequence because i knew she had more to do in the movie just basically from the fact that there's some shots we've got of her on crate that you know we knew she was going to be there even in the trailer they showed her on there so i knew she wasn't going to die in that moment but it was still a surprise to see that happen and i mean you just almost can't help but think, real, even if it's for a second, that, oh, man, did they just kill her off here? <laughs> even though we knew that's not the case because past interviews and everything they say now, if they didn't change anything to episode eight to, you know, rework, rework it because of Gary Fisher's death or whatnot. So we knew they weren't going to make any character changes in the actual movie. So uh, once she you know got blasted out of the bridge, it was just a matter of, OK, how is she going to you know come back and survive this? And. He knew the force was going to be involved in some way, but I got to say, I really liked how it was handled. Me and too. it, you know, it does, it does look a little strange. I will say that just seeing, you know, Leia floating out in space like that. It's we, Disney people. I feel like sometimes <laughs> we got to give Disney a Disney moment, right? Like let's have our princess flying through space. Like what's wrong yeah. with that? 
again yeah it is different but at the same time exactly i don't think there's anything wrong with it it's just something we haven't seen before in a star wars movie but the main thing is what i love about it is seeing leia use the force that we know she has inside her we've only gotten the smallest of glimpses is where it's just her feeling through the force about certain things whether it's you know her feeling that luke's still alive on the death star sensing han solo's uh when Sansolo solo died her sensing that but seeing her full-on use the force to save her own life i thought was you know or was really well done and this made sense too how that would be the scenario for someone who is part of that skywalker bloodline who we know has you know was really strong with the force even though she hasn't been you know fully trained in it it would manifest itself in that you know dire moment where this life or death situation and where it would kick in probably like she'd never experienced before and used it to save her life. So, yeah, I thought it was handled really, really well. And just, again, cool to see Leia have that one moment of her using the Force. And, you know, sadly, it's the last Star Wars movie we're going to have with Princess Leia in it. So, But in a way, it is kind of fitting that this is the movie where we got her, got to see her use the Force like never before. So, yeah, I was totally okay with that scene, even though it was a surprise to see how it all unfolded. And people say, well, why don't we see more Leia Force after that? I'm like, for the same reason wow. Leia has resisted the Force for so long because she's seen her dad torture her. She's seen Luke go crazy. She's seen her son become a monster. Like, Leia and, is smart to not use the Force, I think. Yeah, and again, I think more the fact, too, where she hasn't, she's never u- really used the Force. I'm, right now, I'm thinking that's pretty much the first time she really used the Force like that. Like I said, And she's unconscious. I mean, her body basically does it for her, which I actually think is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she doesn't have the training to really do it. She probably could, but again, I I think it's a good balance of both, where she doesn't really, she doesn't want to, and where she doesn't, you know, have the experience or training to use it effectively. Mm. So, yeah, I, I didn't even enter my mind as far why isn't she using it again at any other point of the movie so yeah Mm -hmm. all right well we we could talk last jedi forever um it's interesting i would say through all of my six to eight podcasts on this topic 80 percent has been about the skywalkers or ray essentially (laughs) (laughs) it's hard not to talk about those it it is I think the problems with the Poe Rose story are a bit overstated, but I totally understand that that was the weaker element. Um, and so it's less interesting to talk about. It just sort of is what it is. I love the Poe storyline. There's some holes. Oh, me too. Yeah, there's some holes logistically, but from a character building standpoint, I guess I wanted to say was there was no way Ryan could have known that Carrie was going to pass away, but I, I, I felt like I was going to come out of this movie dissatisfied by how little Leia we got. Cause they were expecting a lot of Leia in episode nine, but I thought it was so clear. And I've been talking about for like a year about how Ryan's talked about her being involved in the writing process. And they finally admitted that that's been the case. Yeah. Um, but you could tell with some of those Leia lines were Carrie Fisher lines. And it was fantastic. If you guys have ever read or listened to her, read her books are, are amazing and you should her sense of humor is second to none i was fully satisfied with leia to the point where if they kill her off screen with a time jump in episode nine at this point i'll be like i think they should start the movie with poe giving like a teary um speech at her funeral or something Mm -hmm. like five years later is how i would do and if you told me that before the movie i would say no way but i i don't know i I felt like ryan really connected with with carrie and this and it really worked for me no totally agree yeah, I mean, 
it's sad that episode nine is going to have to deal with that. But again, episode eight was a fitting, you know, final appearance for Carrie Fisher as Leia. And then if we do get something like you just described for episode nine, where they're at a funeral, I think it would be kind of cool if it's like a funeral for all three characters, like Han, Luke and Leia, <laughs> while we see this new generation of characters honoring the previous generation of characters. I, it could even come at the end of the film. Like maybe that's where the movie ends on, but just as like a tribute to all three of them, I think would be cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I I don't think people realize because they're still in so much shock from this film, good or bad. They're done. No more original cast. It's fully no, the new right. cast in Episode Nine, and we know there's going to probably be a time jump, and it's going to be up to them, you know. And so, mm-hmm. but it's I think truly it, going to yeah. be this new cast of characters movie. I mean, there's no way around it. We'll probably get a Force Ghost appearance by Luke. Yes, we'll see how much, but still, I mean, it's going to be all on their shoulders now. All right. So my very first, I told you, I, I, I was uh, tentatively entitling the podcast Pudu Cast because I thought I was going to talk Star Wars before it became the Bizzle Cast, and I ended up talking a lot of comic book movies and other nerd culture and worked back towards Star Wars. Now do a bit of both. Uh, I have to say, I for me in my mind, the Star Wars stock continues to steadily rise while the comic book stock has plummeted a bit and is less interesting to me and part of the reason is because star wars still does something better than all the comic book movies does and this i wanted to ask you in particular tim this will be the sort of uh, the main segment of the podcast which is the empire which is you need great bad guys cool bad guys who you love to hate in order to make the good guys cool in order to make the story um, cool. And I love listening to your podcast when you complain about, you know, stormtroopers not getting enough love or like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you were very pumped about the death troopers, even though they weren't fully implemented. Like the death troopers were definitely a step up in Rogue One and you loved Phasma. Um, I have to think you were a little dissatisfied with the way how little Phasma time we got in this movie. Um, but let me start with the general question is, what is it about the Empire, the aesthetics, the lore that sort of attracted you so much as a guy who seems like one of the nicest, you know, best <laughs> guys on the planet? And I know you're rooting for the good guys ultimately, as we all are, but yeah. it's hard to deny that a lot of people's favorite movie character is Darth Vader. And I think, honestly, we're going to have Kylo Ren be a lot of young people's favorite movie character growing up. Oh, and yeah, and I think that's cool because he's so fucking appealing as a character. So what is it, for, for, just from your perspective, I, I would love to hear the Tim uh, Jurassi sort of rundown on why the Empire is cool, when when it's being cool, and why that's important to Star Wars. Yeah, for even just as a, being a kid growing up on the original trilogy, first off, it just started with the aesthetic of how cool <laughs> these characters look. The troopers, the you know, stormtroopers, scout troopers, snow troopers, TIE fighter pilots, and it's it, Darth Vader's iconic costume. The Empire just has a lot of cool-looking costumes and designs and all that stuff that just attracted me to them as far as, you know, kind of rooting for them in a way. And it's kind of interesting that Lucas's intention, you know, kind of had the opposite effect, where it's like the Empire is a soulless organization. You don't see any human faces on there, so it's kind of hard to have sympathy for them. But it had the opposite effect on me. I get more sympathetic when <laughs> I see stormtroopers dying and TIE fighter pilots uh, getting blown up because because of you, you don't know who they actually are under under that mask. You almost kind of feel sorry for them in a way where they don't have that individuality. They are like that. So it kind of had the opposite effect on me where I kind of that made me root for them where not the fact that they look cool, but the idea that we don't get to know 
who's actually under that helmet. It could be, you know, some some nice people in there who just got caught up <laughs> within the, you know, construct the empire's you know vacuum of power and all that stuff so could be um, ezra and canon for all we know <laughs> yeah sorry go ahead <laughs> as many times they disguise the stormtroopers yeah you never know but that's what i like about some of the stories we're getting in the new canon too especially the book lost stars where we're mm. getting into characters who are in the empire who aren't necessarily bad i mean they yeah. believe in it that you know and some of them even start to realize how you know the empire isn't you know what they thought it was but their intentions were always good and some of the troopers who were probably serving and dying to rebel soldiers are probably like that too they were not necessarily evil or bad guys or bad people uh, but you know they just believed in it got cut up in it whatever and you know were killed in battle which happens in war so mm-hmm. i love what the new canon is doing with you know showing on both sides where the empire is not all evil and even with rogue one one of my favorite aspects of rogue one was how not all the rebels are, you know, yes. good and, you know, squeaky clean, yes. as maybe yes. some might have thought. So I just love that new dynamic going into Unbelievably, it. Unbelievably, so. I really, for me, Rogue One yeah. pulled it off that I could dislike decisions that the rebels were making big time and still like them, you know, that, that, that mm-hmm. our main... I think one of the things that gets lost with Rogue One is that even though Jin's the face and Jin Erso, I uh, you know, as uh, my my hashtag is Jin Erso is my waifu. I mean, I, I love Jin Erso. <laughs> She's just the coolest to me. But Cassian's really the main character in the story, and you know, he has more screen time. He has a much wider moral and character arc. Um, mm, Cassian yeah. and K two in particular. It's not a coincidence that Cassian's you know sidekick is an Imperial droid that's been reprogrammed because he's also been reprogrammed in a way um i think there's a lot going on there and the fact that i mean that's why you cast a guy like diego luna is because you need a rebel to just murder a friend early on and still not lose him right i mean yeah. there are so many actors that you would just immediately have been like oh this guy's just a psychopath who happens to be working for the rebellion and then he almost kills jen's dad and you're still with him because of the amazing acting performance i think for me really Rogue one se- yeah go ahead no i was gonna say it really sells the moment of why he wanted to go to Scarif with Jin and finish this thing off. Because I yeah. love that line where he says, you know, all the terrible things we've done would have been for nothing. And that we keep telling ourselves we're doing this for the greater good and for the end game of what we want to achieve with this, you know, war. And if they just give up now, all that was for nothing. Like how could they live with themselves after that? If they didn't see it through. So it just, like I said, served really well with the character and just his arc that he went through and is how it all cultivated into, you know, what we got at the end of rogue one. So, yeah, all that stuff was great. Yeah, and, and I want I want to get back to the Empire. Uh, this will be my last Rogue One soapbox stuff, which is just there's <laughs> a reason they cast the entire Rogue One cast of veteran. Even the young actors were veteran actors, right? People like Felicity mm-hmm. Jones been nominated yeah. for Oscar. Riz Ahmed had been nominated for stuff. Uh, Diego Luna. I mean, Donnie Yen is a legend. The Chinese actor who plays Baze is is a, is a legend in Chinese film. Alan Tudyk is maybe the funniest guy alive. Ben Mendelsohn, everybody wants to be a villain now because he's so lovable. I mean, literally uh-huh. <laughs> everyone they cast in Rogue One, they were like, look, we have to sell tons of character exposition and we have almost no time because half the movie is a giant battle on Scarif. So, you know, I, whereas if you look at Force Awakens, other than Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac to a certain extent, most of them were completely young and unestablished. Um, oh, yeah. And so I, I being in a sort of an actor actresses guy, like a guy who sees movies for actors and actresses. One of the reasons I love Rogue One is because it just was like they could just give them very minimalist material in that film at time and 
make it work. Um, you know what I mean? In, in terms of that, but, but yeah, definitely making the rebellion complicated was what you're describing. But for me being more of a rebel guy is that it makes me love the rebellion more knowing that guys like Admiral Radis had to save all the assholes back at fucking fleet HQ, you know, who were like yeah. <laughs> ordering assassinations of the wrong people, um, and, and so forth. But I think, yeah, the three biggest experiments into sort of pro imperial, uh, uh, literature, correct me if I'm wrong, in the new canon is Lost Stars, which is excellent. Um, uh, the Just Phasma in general, the character of Phasma, the book Phasma, and so Battlefront. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Lost Stars is the perfect version of that, and the other two have lots of problems, but for different reasons. Um, and then you do have like the Death Troopers, and even like Krennic is a little bit different of an Imperial than we're used to seeing. And if you look at the First Order now, it's not a coincidence that most of the like bureauc- uh, the workers in the First Order are young and diverse, as young and diverse as the rebe- the Resistance is, right? I mean, yeah. it's specifically not all old white people. They got Donald Gleason for a reason. They didn't want another Tarkin, right? They want even if he's white, they wanted a young guy. And almost everyone that works for him is young and diverse. And sure, surely Disney is, con- you know, uh, is conscious of what what's going on with that. But do you feel to make a medium sized question gigantic? Do you feel like they're headed in the right direction overall in letting us, you know, root for who we're supposed to root for while still getting a more complex vision of the quote unquote bad guys in, in the current canon? Um, yeah. I- really happy with the direction they're taking with it. And I was someone like going back way back to the early speculation days when we got the announcement of the sequel trilogy, I was a little, you know, hesitant about, you know, recycling the empire again, because, you know, we've seen it before. This is a brand new trilogy. Let's see something different. But I got to say what they've done with the first order. I think it makes sense for, you know, progression. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I'll, I'll be curious to hear your take on it. Yeah, but. no, go ahead. I, 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 I love everything about the implementation of the First Order, but if you look at it as a clone of the Empire, I st- I'm still not sure why they went that way. But, uh, but, but keep going. Well, just the fact, I mean, this goes back to what um, they expanded on in this new canon and going back to a little bit why I really like the Empire so much too, is just the genius of Palpatine is still on display in the sequel trilogy, which, you know, I love. I mean, that's one of the things I think I love about the prequels too, and which I don't think get enough credit for is just the genius of Palpatine's plan of what he started all the way back there in episode one. And it's still going on today with the first order. It's just, is <laughs> even though he's out of the picture right now, the empire is destroyed. It's it, legacy still lives on. And he kind of put this into motion too, even when he had those contingency plans for when the eventual, uh, you know, happening of the empire potentially falling. Okay, so he- this is this is listeners. Uh, obviously, the spoiler warnings been on from the beginning. We're entering like a level twenty five zone right now. If you guys play RPGs, yeah. uh, <laughs> when it comes to canon, talking about the contingency, so just be prepared. I have talked about this on other recent podcasts, but not a lot, man, because you're heading that direction about the Pal- Pal- Palpatine's wider plan and its impact on the movies. Yeah, and specifically kind of in the Aftermath books, which to be honest, I'm really not a big fan of those books. The only one I really like was the last yeah, one. Yeah, the third one, yeah. End, yeah. Which, you know, really laid out Palpatine's plan to continue on with the Empire through, you know, the First Order. And, mm. you know, I just loved how he just, 
even though the character's dead, you're like almost never going to get rid of him. <laughs> it's because he prepared for that. And it's how the Empire can continue, even though it would take a while to be brought back up again. And it's under a new banner of the first order. I just still like that. You know, it's pretty much all from Palpatine and his legacy is continuing on. So that's why I think it still makes sense for it to come back in, in the sequel trilogy. I will say the movies themselves probably could do a better job of letting you know how this all came about with the first order, how it rose to power in the state of the galaxy with the Republic, particularly in the force awakens, because we're just kind of just thrown in there, not knowing what the state of the galaxy was, especially, you know, once Hosnian prime was destroyed, it's like, wait, that was that Coruscant? Like what's happened? Like what's going on here? So I will say that where they probably could have done a better job of not relying on, you know, the books and comics or whatever to help you, to get to know what the state of the galaxy was. But it's a two-sided issue, man. I'm sorry, Tim. (laughs) On the one hand, you're going, are they giving away too much in the books? Or like, do you need to read the books, which should never be the case where Star Wars work. It's not like Mm -hmm. a comic book. It comes from the movies. It should, everything should come from the movies and they've done a good job of that. Totally. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, you look at, you know, stories like Phasma and you almost felt like they made the character so they could do books and comic books and stuff about her because she really did nothing in two movies of any note, and yet it's still a fascinating character because of everything else going on around her. Although I don't love the book, but I, I appreciate what they were trying to do with the Phasma character, right? And so I don't know, because mm-hmm. at Battlefront... All right, let's just lay it out. Battlefront 2, people... If, some of you guys play video games maybe you don't a lot of people stayed away because of the controversy electronic arts is evil we know that they tried to rip people off more than usual (laughs) with battlefront they got busted bob Iger of disney himself reamed them out publicly which never happens with either ea or disney and they made everything free immediately um because of loot boxes you can google it if you haven't heard about this but ea basically lost 10 percent of their stock because they fucked with star wars the wrong way and I will tell you, dude, it is not a good game. I, I watched the playthrough of the really? campaign before I played it. And I again, I am not a big multiplayer. I, I will only do multiplayer if I like the single player. Okay. And I felt the controls to be janky. But it's all irrelevant because I watched the entire thing played through twice by two different sets of YouTubers who I follow. Before I knew it wasn't a long campaign. I wanted the lore immediately before I played it. So it's not really a fair comparison because like I was bored because I'd already seen it. So it, sure. you know, I might well have really enjoyed it. And I, I know all the surprises but the contingency stuff and what they did with luke skywalker in particular in the campaign was so brilliant i mean i think the do you know what i'm talking about in the battlefront campaign no. yep where where, where, where dell who's number two to Iden versio who by the way G- G- geneva or, or whatever her name is who's so great who plays Iden. god bless her i feel bad you got caught up in this crap she did a great job but Dell meeting Luke uh, uh, on a mission and Luke turning him is so believable that, that Luke Skywalker in that state could do something like that to any Imperial person he met. Um, and on top of that, learning about the contingency and Project Cinder, which were not things I knew a lot about because I hadn't, I didn't really remember Aftermath, you know? I didn't, and I, I guess what I'm saying the, is I didn't think the they were going to pursue stuff, this. Yeah, go ahead. That mainly came from the Shattered Empire comic books. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they they literally the like the whole battle of the mission of Battlefront Two on Naboo. That you see what happens from Leia's perspective in the actual comic of Shattered Empire. Oh right, right, right. Um, but they do they they definitely with like Sloan and those people talk about it in Aftermath, like the people who were yeah. to be involved. 
And so this is always where the prophecy stuff breaks down. So Palpatine thought he might die, but he wasn't sure. He looks shocked when Darth Vader kills him. But if he, if this was his vision, then why didn't he do it knowing that he was going to die? Why wait for him to die? And then that he wouldn't predict that his own hand-appointed person would get betrayed by another of his hand-appointed person uh, for it not to happen. I can't tell if Palpatine is the most ingenious person in the history of any universe or way overrated in terms of brains at this standpoint. Um, I want it to be... Definitely not overrated. <laughs> well, I want <laughs> I it to be. Point. I want everything that they're, they're hinting, the sort of Star Trek type stuff that they're hinting with the observatories and so forth, that he is looking to other galaxies and stuff, I think is awesome. And they give us nothing of that in Last Jedi. And they're not talking about in the cartoons. I hope they do it. Not that they have to go super you know intergalactic uh star trek level but we know thrawn's from somewhere else right i mean i think in both timelines thrawn's from somewhere else so we're already headed in that direction um so what I, all i'm saying is i really appreciate what they were trying to do with the battlefront campaign lore i just want more of that and, and i wish they would just go for it i don't know if they are or they're just kind of te teasing us yeah i'm, I'm hoping for whatever the next animated series is. I mean, I would love it for be based, you know, post return of the Jedi kind of fill in those gaps more because a TV show like that would be perfect. I think to talk about some of the stuff that maybe needs to be expanded on or whatnot, other than just, you know, some comics or books or whatnot, or even visual dictionaries. Cause those provided some of the first information about the state of the galaxy in the sequel trilogy, which I'm sure uh, most people don't read even less so than the actual novels. Or just casual fans and whatnot. So they should. Uh, Doug. Get, Pablo Hidalgo does an amazing job with those. They're fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, if we get like a new sh TV show, animated series set in that time period, I think it'd be the perfect thing to count, fill in the gaps between you know whether it's stuff with you know the First Order rising to power, Luke uh, doing more to build up the Jedi Order, his new Jedi Order during that time. Just so many stuff they can go with to you know, expand and fill in those gaps of the lore that, you know, still aren't quite clear just yet. And mm. what better person to be in charge of it than Dave Filoni? Because I think if anyone knows Star Wars, no one knows Star Wars better than uh, Dave Filoni other than George Lucas. Like, it's like Lucas then Filoni. So okay. that's like the per person I want to be telling these stories if they're going to go that route. No, and that's why he's in charge of the entire animated division. They're doing mm -hmm. some huge project and we all fucking want to know when it is, Dave Filoni. God damn it. I, I say this to you on Twitter as we all do. Please give us a hint of what you are working on because it's going to be amazing. Um, yep, I know. We just got to get through Rebels and then I think we'll get a little you know, downtime and then we'll probably start hearing rumblings or announcements i would say later on in the year that's my guess okay so here's here's where it's time for some just baseless speculation i'm fascinated by which is i don't want to say the last jedi had a lot of influences aesthetically from rebels but i also don't want to not say that <laughs> i mean mm -hmm. from the 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 fox the white foxes to the lord of the rings and harry potter stuff that's going on i mean I felt that there there is some synergy that they're just not talking about, or maybe it's just that Filoni and Ryan Johnson, and the other people involved, have similar aesthetics. But like the Miyazaki and Lord of the Rings imagery is so blatant in Rebels and and Last Jedi in an awesome way, I think. Um, and I wonder how involved he is. I think Filoni's more involved in the story group than than they they say. Um, no, I I agree. I mean, Dave Filoni has talked how he's worked with Ryan Johnson on certain or like aspects while in production of the last Jedi. even yeah. in the art book too, they talk about how Dave Filoni was in some of the meetings that were going on for it early on. So 
I think there's definitely, like you said, synergy going on there. Because I thought the same thing where we see Rose and Finn riding the Fossiliers. You see the across the lake with the moon uh, high in the sky. That just black, beautiful shot. But it reminded me of the Lothwolves and, you know, the scene of Ezra and Sabine <laughs> riding on them at night on Lothal. So stuff like that where I could see there some similarities in there too. So I would not be surprised at all if, you know, both of them were kind of working hand in hand in certain aspects of the film. Maybe not like large scale things, but small things like that. Yeah, and look, there's a reason why Filoni was handpicked by Lucas back in the day because Filoni mm-hmm. was coming from an Asian motifed uh, animated genre uh, the Loath Wolves are exact replicants of replicas of the the giant white wolves in Princess Mononoke, which he said openly. Mm. He celebrates. I love that one. You know, that's what's great about Lucas is he celebrates the people that that influence him filmically. He said it's Flash Gordon in space. You know, like how he talks yeah. about that. Um, and uh, uh, you know, and I, I think Ryan Johnson doing the Kurosawa technique that we so famous in Rashomon, where you see the same scene from slightly different perspective as new context happens, as the movie goes on, we had never seen in Lucas. We know Lucas loves um, Akira Kurosawa. And so I don't know. I felt like Ryan Johnson was trying to please George Lucas in the last Jedi, just as a side <laughs> note, I mean, in a good way. Like I sure. don't, I think JJ didn't care, uh, but I think, I think Gareth and JJ uh, and Ryan really did care what, what, lucas thought of these oh sure like how can you not as a director have a little bit of that feeling of you know yeah. i hope this is something george lucas would like or appreciate <laughs> it's almost i would think i mean i'm not a director or filmmaker by any means but just from some being fans themselves and making now making a star wars movie i just think it'd be hard not to have a little bit of that type of thinking of wanting to you know do something that you think george lucas would like Absolutely. And it's been a huge pressure on all three directors sure. for, for that very reason. And by the way, also I want to comment, unlike the DC and Marvel and other uh, big franchise movies, um, the three Star Wars films so far in the Disney era clearly feel directed by different people. And I think that's awesome that they're embracing that. I love mm. how different the movies feel. Do you agree with that? And if so, um, uh, do, do you approve overall? No, I agree. I do think there should be, you know, each movie should be in the saga film should have somewhat of a similarity, which I think, but yet be different too, which I think they did good on with Force Awakens and Last Jedi. But, you know, I'm all for the Star Wars story films being as different and totally out there as they want to try. I mean, they don't want to go too far from the Star Wars mold, but doing more things differently than you would expect in a saga film, I'm all for. So, yeah, so far, I think they've done a great job with all three. Um, so you started covering Clone Wars. Uh, I, I'm not sure I've heard you guys talk a lot about Rebels. So I wanted to ask you about it um, while we're on this topic. Um, and also to say, forget about the aesthetics, the notion of the gray side of the force, they've been probing in Clone Wars and Rebels for many years now. It's like, I feel like the movies now with episode eight are just catching up to the fact that like, yeah, you can have feelings and still be a light side Jedi, you know, Mm, like it it seems obvious to us hardcore fans, but it's not obvious in the movie where they're like Catholic nuns for the, for the Jedi, you know, um, the great hypothetical is what if Yoda and Obi-Wan had come to an understanding with Anakin, right. And was just like, it's cool, man. We understand like, just keep it discreet. Would that have changed anything? Um, 
is, is, is an interesting question. Because, by the way, I still think when I watch episode three, Palpatine is surprised when Anakin ultimately turns, I think is really underrated. Mm. <laughs> it, all the work, he seems all-knowing, all the work he's put into it. But at that final moment, yes, he's acting like a vulnerable old man, you know, to get his, you know, to get him on his side. But there is a look, I think, you know, where he, even he isn't, isn't sure that that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Do you agree that, like, just the character of Ahsoka and her journey, it seems to be informing spiritually what they're starting. I'm hoping they're starting to do in the movies with saying, it's not just the light and the dark, the Jedi and the Sith. Yeah. Um, I love that. Like you said, having the force be more broader than just, you know, specifically Jedi and Sith and like the Clone Wars have made that notion early on rebels have done that. And I'm glad Luke said that too, in his first lesson to Ray, you know, how, you know, like how vanity that is to the Jedi to think or to think that the force is only for the Jedi when it's for all living things. And sure, of course, some are going to be more sensitive to the force and be able to be, you know, use it more than others. But the fact that it's not limited to that, I think is great. And I just, and fascinating too. And even in Rogue One about, you know, the guardians of the wills and these different, you know, groups and organizations on Jeddah making that pilgrimage to the, you know, Kyber Christopher temple mm -hmm. just these different organizations and religious groups that believe in the force but you know aren't necessarily jedi so i it just makes the universe bigger which you know is cool and just to get different perspectives on the force because the force has you know <laughs> many stories movies books tv shows episodes of clone wars rebels that we've gotten about this force there's still a lot of mystery to it i think and i think there'll always be a lot of mystery to it and but we can see other people's perspectives on it and ways of viewing it other than just the Jedi and Sith, which I would, which I love. And maybe we might not go in too much into that now, especially whether there's just one more movie left in the sequel trilogy, but I was glad we were here. Luke was saying that and how it is so much bigger, but I think it's definitely going to be something that's going to be expanded on in you know, either future TV shows or Ryan Johnson's new trilogy, which is kind of what I'm hoping for. It would be about, but more force heavy or more, more deeply, rooted in stories about the force, I think would be awesome, but it is going, I think we're going to go learn more about it as this new era of star Wars goes on. It just, you know, it just makes for more interesting stories. And the fact that it's just not so limited to a Jedi and Sith is just, you know, it makes more sense than having it. It's such a big galaxy. It would be kind of, you know, short sighted to think there was only two organizations or groups that would be you know using the force the way they did throughout the entire galaxy and forever how long it's been in existence so i think the potential of what stories we could get about the force is really exciting and i just can't wait to learn more about that regardless of what medium it's going to be in i just mm. the force is you know that's what i love my favorite aspect of star wars is just the mystery and the aspects the spiritual side of things with it through the forest is you know, it's always so fascinating to me. So I love getting stories about that. Mm. All right. Well, um, so to just ask about the uh, two major other visual properties that we've been starting to hint. Uh, I'll start with Battlefront 2. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, first of all, why do you play an Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Xbox has been my system for a long time. I'm probably. just, I'm <laughs> just trolling you. I could care less. Yeah, I do have a PS4, but that's I only have that for yeah. like the first party games, like the Uncharted's and like the Ratchet and Clank. Dude, Horizon Zero Dawn is the best video game of the decade. I'm sorry, I've Horizon Zero Dawn is about the it, yeah. best. 
It's the best. I mean, if you like third-person stuff, like in Battlefront, but you want to integrate like Uncharted and Assassin's Creed and Far Cry and like hunting and combat, it's a challenge. It's an open world. It's an amazing character. It's gorgeous. So recommend it. Yeah, I don't have nothing against Xbox personally. I just most of people I know have have PlayStations. Uh, I think the game's probably the same at this point, right? On both systems. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, for online play, Xbox is where I go to. I just love how Xbox Live is set up and uh, just how it all. That so. makes sense. So anyway, so what are your thoughts about the gaming? Because honestly, I've uh, mostly I've seen people play it and read about it. I haven't played it a ton. I played no multiplayer, which I hear is super fun. Yeah, Battlefront's a lot of fun, especially the multiplayer. I mean, that's yeah. you know the meat of the game where that's at, and it's just best playing with friends. And I got to say, I'm not the best you know first person shooter gamer out there i usually don't do good on any of the rounds but i still have fun with it especially like i said especially when you're playing with friends and even though you die a lot you still have a good time just being in set in the star wars universe playing these like massive battles on there it's just lots of fun it looks amazing the graphics on it are incredible Man, so beautiful yeah when i saw it, i yeah. came with my system i finally got one so i could do full playthroughs of zero dawn and some other games but um i so i played through a bunch of it it is gorgeous and i don't even have mm -hmm. a pro or whatever it probably looks even better yeah <laughs> yeah i have the xbox one x so i i am fortunate enough to be able to play it on 4k and, mm. and it's incredible yeah mm. but so yeah multiplayer is fun once you get past all that you know the loot crate system and all that i agree that's that stuff's annoying i wish it wasn't there but when you're just playing the game it's a blast but as far as single player goes it, it was okay. It was good. I wasn't blown away by the story, if anything. It should have been great. It was a great premise to the story. Yeah. It was. I was super into it at the beginning. I, yeah, I got to say, I was disappointed. Aiden and Del Migo, they changed sides so quickly. Like, I it made no sense. Yeah. They would probably end up going to the you know rebellion by the end of the game or even the resistance. I was hoping it you know, <laughs> it'd last that long. But the fact that pretty much maybe – halfway is probably at the most but maybe even a little before halfway through the game they're turning like really that's disappointing especially me being an imperial guy but even the developers building it up oh you're gonna play from the imperial perspective which is you know hasn't been done too much in star wars video games and the fact that it was only a couple of levels it was really disappointing so it, i mean it, it was but, fun but it, it's but, still disappointing dude it doesn't even make sense because if this was 10 years ago, we would say, oh, it's Disney and just blame Disney. But this is the studio <laughs> that's given us three movies where both sides have been very ambiguous at times. It's not like Disney has hesitated <laughs> from showing us the bad guys be, you mm. know, someone to root for way more than Lucas, honestly. Um, that's the decision they've made. And so... I don't understand who makes that decision. Like, yeah, let's have Iden Versio fly in fewer TIE fighters. It's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, I know. That was especially the whole point, and it's amazing. Especially after reading Inferno Squad, too. And just, you know. Which I didn't read, but I heard it was really good. Yeah. It, I really enjoyed it. And again, it set the stage for, you know, how dedicated they were to the Empire. Yeah, which I know all I the lore. The, yeah. Which made me, like I said, their turn did not work for me as quickly as it did. It had to have been. No. They had to build up a lot more than it did in the actual game, which which is why I said it would have made more sense if they kind of switched sides like during the First Order Resistance era instead of you know being so early on in the re uh, rebellion versus the Empire. So, I mean, yeah. I've uh, people who know much more about the industry, the video game industry, than me have said that the, the the practical reason why they did what they did was they ultimately wanted to use the campaign as an intro about how to play those famous movie characters in mm -hmm. multiplayer which makes sense but is also lame 
Um, But look, look, Electronic Arts has recently closed a studio making like an Uncharted style Star Wars game. And they just shuttered the entire studio because it was just a single player game that wasn't going to generate them billions of dollars or whatever. And because they wanted to keep using Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. And it was Disney, supposedly, from what I've heard, who was telling EA, you need to start making more games using other characters. We're making movies using other characters. (laughs) Like, you need to start doing it. And EA was like, no, we want Messi and Ronaldo, basically, right? Like, in their sports franchises. It's the same thing. That's how they see everything. They see everything through the lens of the sports games and so they need to in my opinion i'll get off my soapbox i'm here with my battlefront but they need to not have the star wars license star wars needs to bring a independent developer into their own group like lucas arts back in the day you're my age you mm. know lucas arts made great star wars games in the oh, yeah. 90s and early 2000s great great star wars games yeah i'm starting to think uh disney lucasfilm are regretting the ea license agreement <laughs> the deal they made with them i'm sure they're waiting for it to it expire so they can do something else because I'm sure they're not too happy with how things have gone down lately, especially with Battlefront 2. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. But again, they've also fired a lot of directors that they were very high on. I think, you know, when you buy something as big as uh, Lucasfilm and you're essentially turning over your first giant movie in less than three years from purchase you're going to you know, run into some problems, inevitably. And again, mm-hmm. I credit Kathleen Kennedy, Bob Iger, everyone behind Lucasfilm. Like, I fully supported the Han Solo, um, and maybe we'll move towards the close here with predictions for the future. I fully supported at least the reasoning behind the Han Solo firings. I don't know mm-hmm. if the movie's going to be better or really good or, or whatever, but like them being like, you know, these guys are very funny. They just don't fit our vision. We know we filmed the whole movie already, but we're, we're going to maybe look, dude, they're going to maybe lose money on Han Solo to, in order that it didn't become a disaster is, is what I think. Um, yeah, I see. I agree. I took it as, you know, them still really caring about this movie and story that they felt they had to get rid of these directors and Lord and Miller and bring in someone to, you know, get this film right because they still believe in it and that it's going to be, you know, what they're hoping for, a great Star Wars movie, which I'm still, you know, optimistic that it's going to be. I'm really excited for the Han Solo movie and what it, what stuff we could have um, added to the Star Wars lore, especially with Han and Chewie. So, but I just think it shows how much they still care about it. I mean, I think they easily could have done, you know what, we're this far into, you know, principal photography because they were close to wrapping principal photography and they could have just, you know, maybe ate this ate the movie as you know not being that successful and being so far into it but no they want to get it right and i totally respect them for doing that and yeah the fact that that the fact that it hasn't been delayed is still <laughs> kind of surprising to me but um, i'm still confident that they're going to deliver a fun star wars experience with the han solo movie with ron howard on board to direct it. i think he was the perfect choice to bring on board to kind of stabilize things get things back on track and just you know get <laughs> this movie moving forward so just anxious to see how it looks with a trailer which hopefully we should be getting pretty soon but yeah i I think it's just like i said we're talking about them making the right decision with that i totally agree just showing that they really you know care about getting these movies done right yeah i think again disney knows what they're doing i think they knew that there would be mixed reception to last jedi maybe not to this level but i think they were Mm -hmm. expecting it they knew it was dark and very quirky at at least and after a very dark rogue one which some people think is just like depressing and bleak i find rogue one to be a very hopeful movie personally but i you know some i guess when you're watching a star wars movie it can be depressing when all your favorite characters die 
when all your all the main characters die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but then you get Darth Vader and Princess Leia. Come on. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, I think Disney's really pumped for another Chewie I'm Home moment. You know, because mm-hmm. ever since the Chewie I'm Home and the first big clip from uh, Force Awakens, it's been pretty dark in the in the galaxy, even in Rebels. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right. And that's what I wanted to get to um, before we close up. I, I am very curious what you think of Rebels because I honestly don't know your opinion on this matter whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love Rebels. I mean, that's not I don't love it as much as I do Clone Wars, mm-hmm. but because uh, Clone Wars is just otherworldly great in my opinion. But uh, Rebels, I think it's just, you know, great Star Wars animated series that's been going on for four years. And I'm just glad that they're ending on their terms with this season. I mean, that was, the, that was the biggest disappointment with Clone Wars. We know there was episodes we never got. They didn't got to end it the way, you know, George Lucas and Dave Filoni attended. So that was always, that will always be a disappointment. But with Rebels, I'm happy that they're ending it the way they want to. And it's just, you know, great where it was, it kind of serves two purposes where, you know, it's telling these stories with these new characters, uh, telling about, you know, how a group of Rebels, but yet there's two Jedi in there who aren't, you know, is not Luke Skywalker or anyone of significance that we're used to, but yet we're seeing their story unfold, how a Padawan who dealt with the aftermath of Order 66 being done with the Jedi or being brought back into it and kind of being thrust upon to train on a a new young force user with Ezra, with, you know, Kanan being the master and Ezra being the apprentice, which Mm. is, you know, both of them learning kind of at the same time, which I thought was a great... Uh, story aspect to the show especially in the first few seasons of Kanan learning how to be a master and Ezra just learning how to you know use the force I thought worked really well but then you know another great thing about it is we're getting the continuation of stories for characters we fell in love with the Clone Wars with Ahsoka and Captain Rex you know the two best new characters to come out of that show and to see their journey continue on because they didn't get the proper conclusion in their own series I thought is great and then we just got some iconic best Star Wars moments ever in Rebels, and particularly the Darth Vader episodes. Mm. Twilight of the Apprentice so is good. amazing. So good. Like, it, it's it's up there as one of my favorite Star Wars moments ever. Oh, yeah. It's a movie. Vader. That's, that's yeah, a Star Wars pretty movie. Pretty much. Yeah. Just hearing Actually, Vader if you do the supercut, I'm sorry, if you do the supercut of the season of all the Ahsoka episodes, it, you can do that with the Ghost in the Shell seasons too because there's usually like eight main plot episodes. You uh, string them back to back as a two-hour movie. It's amazing. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's great iconic stuff with, like, with Vader using those classic characters so well. And then for season three, I thought it was great getting some new stuff with uh, Bendu. I thought he was a fascinating character someone being in the middle yeah the gray. <laughs> as he likes to call yeah. himself yeah yeah both light and dark so mm-hmm. i thought that was great and they made great use of you know him being somewhat of a you know mentor figure to Kanan in some ways you know once he lost his eyesight so all that stuff has been great and then this season you know it, everything's coming back home to lothal as his home planet where the series started and but yet everything's coming to a front with you know the, our main group of characters on the ghost on lothal but yet at the same time, too, in the bigger scope of things for the Rebellion, I just love how there's a lot of stuff on Yavin 4 now. The Rebellion came together for the first time in an episode of Season 3 with Mon Mothma. And now we're seeing them kind of where we see them in Rogue One. But we're just seeing the start mm-hmm. of that with all of them on Yavin 4. So I'm anxious to see where how it's officially going to end. I don't think it's going to end well for Kanan. I'd be shocked no. if he makes it out of the series alive. But 
even in the midseason finale where he goes back to save, uh, going back to save Hera, who's been captured by the Empire. I think we might be seeing Kanan's last stand pretty soon. He's, I just, it, it almost seems right for the character and almost too obvious where he's going to make the ultimate sacrifice for either Hera or Ezra. And then uh, I'm just curious to see where things are going to le- end for Ezra. Is he going to still, you know, be on the path towards a Jedi? I can't. Part of me thinks no, because once we get to Luke, as Yoda says, the last of the Jedi you will be once uh, Yoda's gone. So it's kind of, and Yoda knows about Ezra. That was a great episode. In well, that's what two. my 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 buddy it, it be- has believed for two years that uh, Ray is the child of of Ezra and Sabine. <laughs> no, well, that doesn't add up years wise. No, it doesn't add up at all. No. Yeah. So. And plus, <laughs> or the again, they wouldn't be no. Yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't be nobodies if that was the well, case. No, it would be. That's why it would be. It would be the grandchildren of, and so something would it have would happened be, yeah. in the next generation. Yeah, you know, talking so, about bloodlines, but no. So yeah, right now I'm just curious to see how things are going to wrap up with Ezra and him with uh, being training to be a Jedi with the Force. I'm just curious to see if he's going to like abandon it or is he going to survive? But I don't know. So I'm just anxious for the season to get it started again because I loved the first half of season four. We got in some great episodes. I, I love Rebels, honestly. I much prefer to Clone Wars. Again, though, I watched everything backwards. So I saw Rogue One, and then I watched Rebels, and then I went back, mostly for Ahsoka, um, <laughs> to Clone Wars. And honestly, I, I don't know what I would have done with Ahsoka if I had watched Clone Wars when it first came out. I would have been like, what the fuck? And she's one of my favorite now, like across yeah, everything. Like, yeah. I love Ahsoka Tan now, and I, I do strongly believe that her bringing in a younger and more female audience, I will say again, was critical to everything Kathleen Kennedy and all everyone's trying to do at Lucasfilm right now. It, mm. abs- the fact that Ashley Eckstein herself is involved in the corporate promotion of and just general promotion of Disney and like girl nerd stuff with her company, I mean... It is legit, dude. Um, Ahsoka, I think, is by far the most important non-movie character ever in Star Wars. Agree or disagree? I would totally agree on that. I mean, yeah. I mean, just Clone Wars in general kept Star Wars, you know, going during that period where we thought we were going to get no movies. But Ahsoka as a character just brought in, you know, so many young probably female fans who, you know, just growing up because just in general fans growing up on the show of Clone Wars being their version of Star Wars mm-hmm. is just great to me. But the fact that I was probably able to bring in little girls to be fans of Star Wars through Ahsoka is just awesome. And it definitely did pave the way for that. I mean, for, you know, these more fans to come into the Star Wars universe, which is what we want. If <laughs> we want this film series to keep going, we need, you know, more younger fans to get into it. And Clone Wars definitely provided that you know especially with ahsoka and it's funny when you were talking about you know how you probably wouldn't don't know how you would have gone through clone wars if you watched it first that was you know an interesting time being someone who watched it from the very beginning totally followed it all the way through just how ahsoka was such a polarizing character for a lot of fans Not <laughs> anymore. there's a handful of men i know who just don't talk about her but I know Which so few people. Yeah, I know so few people of any type who don't at least appreciate Ahsoka at this point, which is an amazing transformation. Exactly, she has one of the best character growths out of any character Ever. we've seen in Star Wars. Yeah, the scene where she came from in that first Clone Wars movie, and then where she ends up in Rebels, it's just so great, and it's so believable too what she went through and just how she grew grew as a character. So, yeah, from even Dave Filoni telling. Ashley X, I know you're preparing her. There's probably gonna be a lot of fans you're gonna have to deal with 
that are going to be pretty upset with this character and not take to her right away. But I know, think I actually we, we know what we're yeah. doing. Like, it's easy for me to say this in hindsight, but I don't think I would have had a problem with like her voice because I've been watching anime for a while. Like, I think it took me longer to discover it being an older guy, but like video games and television, like I like some good anime. Her voice is not even that exaggerated by most anime voices. Uh, And so the younger generation, like that wouldn't even be like, they would love that she was so animated, you know, like that would, (laughs) that would be a selling point. And, and I guess my big thing I keep coming back to is that the reason Star Wars keeps working is because the younger generation, I think, has embraced oh, yeah. it to a level we I. Need that. <laughs> but did you see that coming? I don't know if I saw that coming. I don't know if I saw like young kids still being into Star Wars this many years later. Well, not more so not now because we got the movies and, you know, every trilogy when we get new movies seems to do that. But more still sticking on the Clone Wars front. To me, that was more of a surprise, a welcome surprise, definitely. But I always thought Clone Wars was going to be something for more, you know, the hardcore fans who are already, you know, fully into the movies and getting, you know, new stories in Star Wars on TV and set in the Clone Wars era that, you know, besides from the Jendi Tartakovsky series, we haven't gotten any stories on before. And we've heard so much about the Clone Wars and now we're going to get this TV show about it. It's going to be awesome. But the fact that it brought in such a young new audience to it who've become lovers of star Wars because of the TV show to me is, you know, both great, but at the same time, I don't know if I was really expected that to happen, but I think it's awesome that it did. And just hearing some uh, like old podcasts and stuff, some people saying how we got into star Wars because of clone wars. And that's their, you know, version of star Wars that they fell in love with first. I just think is so great. And I just love that. That's just another Avenue that can bring, younger fans into the star Wars fandom. Cause again, like I just said, I, I just think it is important that you just can't have us, the old school fans carry these movies to be successful and to get more. You need, that's what made star Wars great for us to enjoy them and, and to be several generations into it. Now you need the young fans to get into it. And star Wars is such a timeless classic story and tale that it's not really, you know, too hard to get into it it's, it's timeless where every generation i think will can get into it but the fact that the new stories are doing that as well as the older ones i think it's just a great thing and just you know more star wars fans <laughs> or people get into it the better because it's just going to help the series and the franchise grow and to it doesn't think it can get any bigger than it is now but it still has the mm-hmm. potential the more people get into it so and the different stories we can get so yeah i'm just really thankful for you know, not only this new era of Star Wars that we're getting, bringing in new fans, but like you said at the beginning, this is how Clone Wars kind of paved that way early on during those, you know, periods where we didn't expect any movies and how it carried the torch on to the point where we're at now and just brought in those fans along for the ride that we're currently enjoying in this great new era where where we're getting Star Wars movies every year, plus the TV show. So, I mean, Mm. how can it get any better than that? Yeah, I think I just, um, I think the Clone Wars is slightly more my animation style, I think, you know, most people would say, but the constant warfare between droids and, and clones is exhausting at times, and <laughs> I do like the smaller sort of Firefly-esque um, heist character stuff in Rebels overall. That's just more my sure. aesthetic, uh, and that's why oh, I love yeah, the, the Firefly show, uh, and I think the character writing of the main characters is unbelievable on Rebels, and I think their biggest problem are just some of the episodes just fall flat, because there's either too much time or not enough, you know, like yeah. the, the Siege mm. of Mandalore clearly was under-budgeted, and they did what they could with it, not the Siege of Mandalore, whatever, the, the, 
that particular st- Battle on Mandalore episode. Yeah, the season four similar. premiere, right? Yeah, it was just okay. Um, yeah. And my biggest complaint is that there's not enough recently Kane and Ezra, which to me is the best Padawan relationship we've seen in Star Wars just because they've had so much time together and there was mm-hmm. no baggage coming in. And those actors and the writing, clearly they've got synergy there. And dude, I think Kanan is the second most loved uh, cartoon character now other than Ahsoka from people I know. Um, in terms of non-movie no, I, characters. I can see that. Oh, yeah. Um, I think he's definitely the most popular out of Rebels. Yeah. So I think he I dies, can, can and I think, I hope Ezra goes to the dark side, is what I'm... <laughs> I, I don't know if they have the guts to do it, but I didn't know that they would have the guts to kill off the entire Rogue One team either. So, is it possible... Let me ask you this. Is it possible that Ezra would go to the dark side? Is something you would want, and does it make sense within both his character in terms of like what we've seen of the character, but also like okay, well, if he goes to the dark side, that sort of writes him out of the story in a convenient way as well, you know? Like I don't know. Yeah, I personally, I I don't I wouldn't want to see that to happen. Okay. I think it would make it could make sense because Ezra has displayed you know dark side tendencies before. He opened that holocron by himself, the Sith holocron. He was able to call you know forget their names, but those big, you know, winged monsters in season one to face down the Grand Inquisitor. So he has shown, you know, for him to use the dark side in certain scenarios. But I just don't know, you know, that, that if he goes to the dark side by the end of the episode, I think that's just, they're going to have to tell another story later on. I don't know where, but it just leaves it open for more stories with Ezra. But I just don't see how it's going to fit in the grand scheme of things mm. with, you know, Palpatine and Darth Vader out there, but yet there's another dark side force user maybe he goes to the dark side but he just becomes a recluse and doesn't really do anything yeah that's, that's more again, where that's i'm not, getting at i don't mean like a full-on sith lord just sort of like maybe he goes to being kanan before kanan's kanan like that would be interesting you know mm. <laughs> he just becomes like an alcoholic pirate with with honda or something like that i don't know i could see that more happening where like yeah. he joins up with, with hondo or you know something where he leaves the rebellion because maybe Kanan's death that that affects him so much, or it's going to be interesting. Like I said, that's my biggest question going into this final season of Rebels: how they're going to handle Ezra. Maybe he will stick the rebellion, but not you know disclose himself off for the force, so to speak, or not continue his Jedi training because I think something has to give with that, where he either can't you know be a Jedi by the time we get to the point where Luke enters the picture because Luke is you know. <laughs> just to use the word again the last jedi there and up until episode eight so i just like i go back to that yoda line friday says to return of the jedi how he, how he would be the last of the jedi and i think that's important and dave filoni he's even said that in interviews so that's not lost on him where how you know it's gonna make sense where ezra's training and everything we've seen him go through in rebels like doesn't take anything away from luke's being the jedi to you know, redeem his father, take down the empire, and all that being the most important Jedi during the galactic civil war between the rebellion and the mm-hmm. empire. Just so I trust Filoni to end it mm-hmm. in a you know way that makes sense in a satisfying way. I just don't know what that is yet, but I know he'll deliver on it for it being good. 
All right. Well, this will wrap perfectly into the finale where, wherein I give a sort of final thought and then you get the final, final thought. And then that inevitably leads to some other small final, final, final thoughts. <laughs> um, but uh, to tie it with Ezra, it is interesting to see Ezra and Ray kind of quote unquote grow up together. Right. I mean, it's an interesting parallel. He's definitely very Ray. He has had way more tr- formal training, but he's also flirted more directly with the dark side um, yeah. with the holocron. But like, Ray, he always seems to come back to himself. Uh, it's only when Kane, I've described Kanan as his therapist, and that's part of why I love it, is like, unlike the way Anakin was taught, or even Luke, he's more like an older brother who's just trying to keep him in line, but he loves him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's where Obi-Wan and Yoda and Mace Windu failed so badly with Anakin was you want to show tough love, but they were more tough and less love, you know, Kanan yeah, truly so loves the, the kid. Too. Yeah. So I'd love that. I love, I'm just saying I love that relationship and it was cool that we didn't get that exactly with Luke, although his final gesture obviously was done with love uh, for Ray um and and she knows but i guess my final thought was going to be i know there were people that wanted kylo and ray to like take off together at the end like not even romantically but just like say fuck you to both sides and that ray would like flirt with more gray or dark or whatever but i think the the character of ray is so iconic and daisy ridley's portrayal so iconic there is no way that ray as we know her would not come back to the light side you know and like yeah that's not a fault you know like some people are inherently good and the fact that i could see ezra maybe going that way but maybe not like i think is cool about his character but do you agree like even if ryan johnson wanted to end the movie with her in ambiguous standpoint i don't think people would would buy it sort of like ahsoka can say she's not a jedi but let's be honest Ahsoka's still the best jedi in the galaxy uh <laughs> during rebels no, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, that's why I never bought into it. Like you see these like fan arts and poster or theories about Ray going to the dark side in the last Jedi. I'm like, no, they're not going to do that. They might give you a little hint about like the temptation of it, but I don't think we really even got that in the last Jedi. The only thing is, you know, when Luke tells her about the cave and how, you know, it's, you know, full of the dark side energy and she's only going there because she wants to find answers about her parents. So that was really the only bit of dark side temptation she really had. But I just think, you know, they wouldn't do that just even from the marketing standpoint, like you're talking about where your main hero protagonist who's become such a beloved character already. They're not going to have her go to the dark side to end the trilogy and end the her story that way. It would, it would take a lot of guts if they did that, <laughs> but I don't think they're actually going to go too far. So and yeah. I agree with you too. Sometimes and it just plays into the overall mythology of the story. Kylo Ren's is a dark character in this movie. And again, going back to that line of Snoke, the light side would rise up as well too. And that's Ray. So it wouldn't make, uh, you know, too much sense for her to fall into the dark side when we know she's representing the light side of the force, you know, awakening along with the dark side. And it's not another Anakin thing because it, it, as you even said, the prophecy misread could have been, they really didn't know too sure about, you know, how, where Anakin was going to go. They always had hesitation about it. So it wasn't like, I mean, the prophecy said he would destroy the Sith, but it never like specifically said he wanted to turn to the dark side or anything like that. So I just I think with Rey, it's, it's kind of more set in stone where she is kind of in a way the avatar of the light side right now in this point of the saga where Kylo Ren is for the dark side. So that's why I don't see both of them turning um, to Kylo to the light, Rey to the dark side. I think they're kind of set and it's just kind of 
got to wait and see where it's all going to end for both of them. So, but yeah, the whole thing with Ray being to the dark side, I never really bought into and never thought it made too much sense from a story standpoint or even from like Disney or Lucasfilm standpoint from, you know, uh, marketing the character and how well beloved she's become and how they wouldn't uh, do that to a character like so many people look up to as a hero and then make her bad. So <laughs> that's why I didn't, never really bought into it. I'm just saying, Ray, she's got a broken lightsaber. Maybe she'd look good with two lightsabers maybe they'd be white you know maybe she'd have i a, wouldn't mind her to have an instructor have another have <laughs> another exactly. teacher come in episode nine who everyone thought was dead older female jedi come out of nowhere and show her the ropes a little bit maybe her name would be ahsoka and maybe she would be played by rosario dawson i'm just saying it's anything is possible <laughs> come on jj hey. let's make it happen ahsoka in episode nine that's my final thought we need i know I, it's ultimate fan service and the hardcore fans will say no but i think if they could pull it off it would be amazing I would be doing backflips of joy if Good. that happened. <laughs> Good. And that's why I love you. That's what I love to hear. All right, man. Well, I'll throw it to you for the final thought. You can do predictions on Han Solo. You can do predictions for episode nine. Um, with, I guess to, to frame it as a question, just like where do you see things going forward? Because as you can probably tell, I'm pretty optimistic. I see the flaws, but I, I see Star Wars having a, a long and fruitful future at, at the moment. As long as they don't let the haters get in the way of them making you know what's essentially art at this point in my mind um where, where do you see it all going how are you feeling overall no i'm feeling as great as excited as i was talking about earlier when we first got those yeah. announcements back in 2012 of new star wars movies i love what we've gotten so far even though it took me you know two viewings for the last jedi to uh, well i should say two viewings where i started to like it so th on the third one, I was starting to say, okay, I'm starting to love this movie. And the fourth one's like, oh, yeah, I love this movie now. Yeah, so, totally. but so I'm excited, really excited for the Han Solo movie. And I think it's getting uh, unfairly already just kind of thrown under the bus by some fans and people you know, not giving it the time of day or saying we don't need a Han Solo movie. Well, technically, we don't need any of these movies, <laughs> but when we get them, they're good. And I have a feeling Han Solo is going to be the same way. I think, I mean, I just find it hard where it's not to get excited seeing the first meeting between Han and Chewie and how, you know, like emotional that can be, especially knowing what happens to Han in the force awakens and seeing the Han get the Falcon him maybe meeting Lando. We know Lando's in it, but I'm not sure if they're going to meet for the first time in this movie or they already have an established relationship, but to see their early history, I think is going to be exciting. So there's a lot of exciting stuff I'm looking forward to seeing in the Han Solo movie. And then for episode nine. Yeah. I mean, how can you not be anxious and excited to see where the trilogy is going to end after The Last Jedi? I will say, though, I wonder if, you know, J.J., Kathleen Kennedy, everyone, if if they really were kind of taken back by the split or just, you know, mixed reactions that The Last Jedi got, if they not necessarily toned things down, but maybe, you know, not to play maybe a little more safer than intended. I'm not sure if they Dude, would. You mentioned the Kathleen Kennedy hate videos. She knows they're out there. She knows. She knows. That's yes. why. Yeah. I just wonder if they're going to play to that as far as, you know, to kind of get 
the fans back on the same. But they don't even have so to try. Where the Force Awakens? Because it's the way the original trilogy worked. The the middle one, dude. If you read both fan and critic reviews of the Empire Strikes Back when it first came out, a lot of people were not happy on oh, all yeah, sides. I, and I'm totally yeah. <laughs> and then you're gonna get Luke on the skiff with the green lightsaber in the final movie. Okay, we're gonna get Rey <laughs> kicking ass with a bunch of other Jedi against a bunch of evil Jedi, and JJ knows what he's doing. And this will be my final final thought that leading into a question, which is rare amazing accomplishment is my very first star wars poodoo cast or whatever was what i called retroactive retrospection which is when you see something and then it changes your memory of how you felt about something else which we see in books and movies and television in real life all the time um i felt like no matter what the last jedi was going to make people appreciate force awakens more and i feel even more than uh now that i've seen last jedi that that's the case i love last jedi but it does make me appreciate how great force awakens was and I, I'm amped JJ's doing 10. I did not want Colin Trevorrow to do, or 9, to do episode 9. It's not worthy of him. No offense to the guy. But JJ, if it's not going to be Joss Whedon or someone like that, you got to go with JJ for episode 9. Yeah, I was always hoping even before I think Trevorrow was announced that JJ would be back to finish the trilogy. So well, that I would think make it kinda, sense, right? Yeah, it all worked out nice in the end that, that he's back. I always thought, uh, yeah. I thought that was before I knew what the plan was. I thought that was the plan. Like I always just assumed, you know, this was pre Force mm. Awakens that he would come back for the last one. No, yeah. So it all it all worked out nice yeah. in the end. <laughs> but but <laughs> realistically, it. though, I mean, the fan choice for Soka has clearly been Rosaria Dawson. She looks like her. I just uh, finished reading Andy Weir's new book. He wrote The Martian. The book's called Artemis. It's a sci-fi book. It's very funny. She narrates it and does a ton of voices. She does great voice work. She could totally do the Ahsoka voice, but like older Ahsoka. They could definitely do the makeup. I'm sure you've seen the fan mock-ups of Rosario as yeah. Ahsoka. <laughs> it's, she loves the character. She's the queen of nerds. She's in all like the Marvel properties and stuff. But in the end, do you think they could convincingly pull pull off a practical uh, Ahsoka character that was just like a... I guess they've done it with the Twi'leks for 40 years, right? Oh, easily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we got Shakti in the prequel movies. So you could do a Tegruda species, I think, pretty darn easily. Yeah. Now, so I don't think that'd be an issue to pull off. It just... Yeah. You know, it'd just be weird being like depending like if like this say for example like if we're gonna play the ultimate fan theory he filled up in episode nine it would make sense where you know like if you do the fan casting rosario dawson where to be more it would be a little strange not hearing ashley Eckstein's voice doing it but if it's been that long of a gap and who knows where she's been all this time because that's still a mystery of where Ahsoka's at after a fight with Vader. So, but it would make sense. True. Although uh, uh, Ashley Eckstein in rebel sounds very different from Ashley Eckstein. And I mean, you can tell it's still her obviously, but she just, yeah. she lowers Ahsoka's register and mm. talks way slower. I mean, it's definitely in, in Rosario, the good voice actresses, unlike Ashley Eckstein have lower voices, but can do the high pitch stuff. Rosario definitely has a lower voice, but Let's be honest, Ahsoka would be like 60, which for her species isn't that old. Like, she'd be the equivalent of like 45, basically, uh, which is slightly older than what she is. As like a sort of reverse Obi-Wan character for Rey, I don't know, would be cool. Um, but you wouldn't want to just do fan service, right? And this was mm. your, your main criticism of The Last Jedi, uh, which I know is kind of a random thing to end on. But when you brought up the Maz thing for Last Jedi, was one of the things where I was like, yeah, that was a complaint I didn't realize I had until you just <laughs> said it. Where you basically said they shouldn't have used her at all or they should have done way more. Like instead they was mm. just like cool imagery for a minute that was completely non-purposeful and 
they didn't need her to do it in the in the yeah. movie. Um, but I'm feeling like we're gonna get more Maz. I mean, it's Lupita. I hope so. Everyone I, loves I, I her. I'd be pretty disappointed about the last time we saw her in the movie, especially like I said. One of my big complaints about it, her main purpose in The Force Awakens was, you know, was very based around the Force and uh, her knowledge of the Force and the galaxy being around for a thousand years. And I would like for her character to be used more in that aspect instead of how she was in The Last Jedi, just kind of being played up for, you know, laughs where, you know, hey, look, it's this old little character blasting away aliens flying on a jetpack. Isn't that funny <laughs> type of thing? So I hope it just gets back to more of her knowledge and about the Force and the galaxy in yeah. general if she's gonna be an episode nine. i guess i i liked it because it looked cool I, I believe that she could fight and the, the fact that she's implied that she slept with or wants to sleep with half the galaxy is just great <laughs> I, it's so funny <laughs> pretty that, much yeah, yeah that they keep up he's, she's got all her boyfriends and probably girlfriends all over the galaxy you know um i mean the chewy where's my boyfriend is one of the all-time great quotes in, that in, was in anything ever um and I love seeing her in, in Battlefront and, uh, you know, and Lupita, look, one of the reasons Disney's doing so great is they sign people like Lupita Nyong'o to do all sorts of projects for them. Yeah. She's going to be in Black Panther. She did an amazing movie in Africa. She does voices. I mean, she's just, you know, uh, Disney's very smart uh, with all this stuff. And like I said, you know, uh, at, the, at the beginning, I, I would not have predicted that not only would Star Wars have Star Wars, uh, Disney have Star Wars all these years later, but that Star Wars would be its sort of artistic darker property i mean who saw that coming yeah <laughs> i know everyone being worried that all oh, star wars is going to be you know disney-fied <laughs> for lack Whoa. of better words like no that's not the case no <laughs> i think yeah i think lucas's only conditions on selling was like kathleen's going to be the one at least at first and you have to give us artistic freedom basically like because they yeah, interfere Disney's been so good little. about that anyway with marvel like they pretty much have creative freedom on their end too so they're i think they're good about letting the studios do their thing uh, creatively unless you know it's something very drastic that you know they got to step in but i think for the most part they encourage that for their studios and let's be honest george lucas created a cinematic universe from scratch in a heartbeat mm -hmm. in 1977 and disney uh i'm sorry and marvel and dc have spent the last 15 to 20 years depending on who you talk to trying to build cinematic universes with greater and lesser forms of success um, and I've described Star Wars as a superhero team-up movie. Every single Star Wars movie is a superhero team-up movie, right? Um, it's just they're more the Black Widow, Captain America type of superheroes instead of... But a few of them are like Thor, right? And so I think Star Wars will always have the advantage on the movie front over the comic book movies because they're not trying to translate something into mm -hmm. film. It starts in film. And so I do love the great exactly. Marvel movies, but I, I don't think I'll ever be as excited... Um, as I get for these these Star Wars movies, and dude, I'm very optimistic about Han Solo. I think they're not releasing a trailer and Glad stuff. To hear it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're not releasing a trailer and stuff on purpose. They want people to digest all the complexities of the Last Jedi, and then yeah. all of a sudden, look, we've got a great young cast, especially with freaking Donald Glover as Lando, which is gonna, I guarantee you, be one of the all time great performances in cinema. I, I have no doubt that the Lando Lando <laughs> will steal. That movie, just like he stole Battlefront, by the way. Uh, Billy D. Williams in Battlefront, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. This is so, yeah, that's why, to me, there's just so much to be excited about for Han Solo, where instead of looking at it where, oh, we don't need her, why are they doing this? Like, no, there's just a lot of cool stuff that it potentially could be. And yeah, I, I can't wait for it. I'm just so glad 
it's only what five months away now how cool is that we're coming off the last jedi oh, and we're just months away from another star wars movie uh, that's seems crazy to me when you like you're gonna ask me about tell me that was gonna happen just five years ago like even a little bit before this news came out of disney buying lucasfilm i would have never believed it that we'd get two star wars movies this close to each other it's just such an awesome time to be a fan right now man it's just crazy yeah i just wish they they hadn't put black panther infinity war and star wars so close together those are like three of my most anticipated movies of the last five years like i started this podcast because of my excitement about black panther coming out of age of ultron and the announcements from marvel and stuff like i that was where i started taking marvel seriously it was like they're really going to do the black panther property like i love captain america and stuff but that was that in star wars were sort of the two impetuses behind so to get that and then avengers which looks like it's at half in wakanda which is brilliant and yeah. then uh <laughs> star wars up um uh, han solo it'll be interesting man after all the old school fans complain about last jedi now they're getting pure fan service in han solo so if they complain about that and it's good then we know we've cornered you know uh yeah, well there will be complaints i have no doubt of which that. is fine <laughs> i i have no problem with people not liking it i just can't understand if you're a star wars fan and don't like last jedi i don't i don't judge you whatsoever you we were happy to, to hate it you know i told you rogue one's my favorite plenty of people hate movie hate rogue one doesn't bother me i don't but with last jedi in particular i just don't understand after multiple watchings um but yeah, I, again, I think most of its flaws were uh, Ryan Johnson trying to do too much, and I always would prefer that over the the opposite um, with my movies. Um, so cool, man. Um, all right. Well, I really appreciate you staying on so long. I know you have the endurance, but I still appreciate you staying on so long um, on the podcast. Yeah, oh. There was so much to cover. I feel like I still have a million questions for you, so I'll have to wait for another time. Any last thoughts about the movie? Um, I, I guess I'll say I, I, just having Star Wars in my life when the world is so fucking shitty right now is just great to me. And like the way they're able to, and I'm not going to preach here, people, but you know what my politics are. The way they're able to work in progressive social themes into the movies without, in my opinion, rubbing it in your face is awesome. And I love the diversity of the cast. My biggest problem is I have a crush on all of the Star Wars female characters, old and young at this point, <laughs> male and female. I, I mean, I between Daisy Ridley, uh, you know, Jin Erso, Paige, Rose, Kathleen Kennedy, Oscar Isaac. I'm, I'm in love with all of these people, seriously. I mean, I just... I. That must be a fucking cool place to hang out. Let's be honest. As, as oh, a Star Wars set. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, dude. Any last thoughts? Uh, at least plug um, you any upcoming stuff where people can find you. Um, and uh, the, the saga continues, which, again, I highly, highly recommend people. And just really quickly, uh, the reason I like long podcasts, if you like the podcast and the podcaster, is you can listen over the course of a couple days. And so I, I, I highly recommend your guys' uh, six-hour, 20-minute podcast where can that be found and where can people follow you thanks man i really appreciate that so yeah for star wars the saga continues you can find us on our website starwarstsc.com then we do most of our social media interaction on twitter you can find us there at star wars tsc but we're also on facebook you can find us there at facebook.com slash star wars the saga continues and then um you can find me on twitter i'm at uh, tim g311 that's where i do <laughs> most of my geeking out and talking about all the stuff mm -hmm. i'm into on there and then if any you know, Batman fans out there, I have my Batman podcast, part of the Batman Universe podcast network. It's called the Bat Fans Podcast, where we usually put an episode out 
every two weeks. We're had a little bit of a break uh, the past a few weeks uh, because of the schedules with the holidays and everything. But we'll be recording a new episode of that this Saturday, which so which should be out next week, where we're going to kind of do a recap of some of the our favorites, least favorites of Batman and DC universes uh, events that happened in mm. 2017. So that should be fun. So you can find our podcast there at the Batman Universe dot net and our. Uh, Twitter handle for that is at uh, Batfans Podcast. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we do talk about a lot of stuff on that show too. A lot of Star Wars on there as well. If you want to hear that, um, that podcast is where I did my first like reaction review of the Last Jedi after I saw it for the first time. So that's where I wasn't too positive on it. So you can hear my first reactions of the Last Jedi on our uh, last episode that we recorded that talked about the Last Jedi. So. But that's where you can find me online. So just hit me up if you want to talk more of this, all this geeky good stuff. Because <laughs> it's like I said, such a great time to be a fan right now. And Star Wars to me is just the greatest story in fiction ever told. And I just can't get enough of it. And the fact that we're getting all this good stuff right now is just I'm just so thankful for it. And just being able to, you know, enjoy the movies. But in this area of podcasting and social media, it's great to be able to talk about it with friends and other fans like never before. So it's just a great time all around to be fans of this stuff. It's just so much fun. And the fan community is so positive and supportive. I mean, it's like if you just judged by star Wars podcasters and like people in the indie media who cover star Wars and the tech media who cover star Wars, like people have different opinions about the movies, but it's all pretty positive. And I think that's why. Well, there's we, a, yeah. There's a more like dark side of fan there that's is. out there, but there is. I'm thankful for the people that I interact with. Uh, I don't have to deal with that, which, you know, <laughs> makes it nice. When if the, I do come across it, just try to ignore it because it's not worth it to have those, you know, just really, <laughs> you know, uh, almost vile type fans because they're out there. This is really mm-hmm. something to be pretty nasty. So it's, it's not worth it for them to let you affect your enjoyment uh, or these films that are supposed to bring you enjoyment. It's just not worth it. So I, I try to. Well, I, like I said, I'm fortunate that I don't see it too much when my interactions online because I follow great people. But when I do, I just, you know, it's not worth it to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, you can like or not like these movies based on objective reasons. But a sure. lot of the stuff you hear from the real trolling haters are coded words for racism and sexism and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So yeah. if you want to get on my podcast and tell me for three hours why Last Jedi is a piece of shit objectively, I will happily take you up on that offer. I, I totally support people having diverse opinions. I hate I hate Game of Thrones, for example. And my friends mm. think I'm crazy because <laughs> I love fantasy and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and stuff. I can't stand Game of Thrones. Like some things you're just not gonna like. Like I get sure. it, but yeah. I, I, especially with so yeah. much out there now, I mean, there's yeah. a lot to choose from. So. I just I just it's hard for me to understand because I did go many years because of not initially really liking the prequels. But I would never challenge someone else who liked it. Like I can't imagine a situation where I'm like, "Oh, you suck," because Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I was like, like oh, okay. you're not a true fan. Or all Dude, that. I love oh, I the Matrix that. sequels, especially Matrix Reloaded. I'm like the only person on the planet. I think the Matrix Reloaded is brilliant. People tell me on my podcast constantly it's shit. It's like cool, man. That's you know, we're just talking, having a conversation. But don't say it sucks because there's only one white person in the movie, right? I mean, when, which is what a lot of the, the real negative stuff comes down to in these in these things. And uh, God bless Disney, in particular Lucasfilm, for just going forward with it. Um, I don't feel like they're compromising. I, I, you know, like let's put it this way: if there are any flaws in Last Jedi, it didn't come off to me as like, oh, they had to compromise here because they're Disney. It was just an oh, artistic no choice I wouldn't have made. 
Exactly. Yeah, you know that right there. Cool. All right, Tim. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate this. I've really been looking forward to this. Um, any plans uh, in 2018 outside the Star Wars universe? Got any big, uh, <laughs> big plans? Big, you know, big dreams? Uh, movies you're looking? You looking forward to Black Panther? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad it's so close. <laughs> you know, I I love all the comic book movies, especially you know the Marvel ones. That I mean, I'm more of a DC fan than Marvel, but Marvel's been killing it with their movies in the MCU. I, I just eat all that stuff up, and how it's just one big universe that there's so many different uh, parts of it that you can mm. just have a good time with these movies so i love it so yeah just you know i'm a simple guy so i just look forward to the, the, the smaller things like these movies video games comic books you know some of the more geeky tv shows and all that stuff so mm-hmm. yeah that's what i'm just looking forward to more of the good stuff in 2018 on that front okay um and final question one television and or video game recommendation for the fans Oh boy, new does it have to be new or <laughs> just what you're playing, you know, or watching. Well, right now I just finished for as far as video game, I just finished the game Cuphead for the Xbox, oh, which is nice. A throwback old school like shooter mm. platformer, but it's set mm. the graphic style is like a 1930s cartoon. Mm-hmm. Visually, it's amazing. The artistic style of it's so it's good. Hard as shit. <laughs> it is challenging, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it took me a while to be a, beat it because I would go play that, then I'd be playing like the new Mario game, Battlefront mm-hmm. Two, Injustice Two. So, but I finally beat that one. But it was just a, it was a breath of fresh air for gaming because you don't get too many stuff mm-hmm. like games like that anymore. So, I highly recommend that one if you're up for a challenge. Yeah, um, uh, I haven't really, other than Zero Dawn, which I'm trying to hundred percent, which is going to take me like a hundred hours. Uh, yeah. but <laughs> I uh, played some Near Automata recently, which was up for Game of the Year really interesting japanese properties technically a sequel but it's like a meta fourth wall breaking uh it's like a it it starts like a third person thing like battlefront or assassin's creed but it it moves to just 2d side scrolling at times or over the head depending on like what environment you're in it's totally seamless it's really interesting uh game design but um but yeah, but yeah, I mean, just to tie it all back, I mean, Battlefront, I saw actually on a lot of people's underrated games for 2017 because it got so caught up in yeah. the business nonsense that when they patched everything and, you know, and the game was how it was supposed to be, it's supposed to be really fun multiplayer. So people should check that out. Yeah, definitely. The actual gameplay is really good. <laughs> it's once you get yeah. past all that leveling up system and everything that goes with mm-hmm. that. And uh, my, my, my last word, folks, is, and I'm speaking directly to you, Disney, um, and it's not fair because I know I'm going to get a hell yeah from Tim. Give us the Luke Skywalker lore immediately. I want to know Luke all 30 years between Return of the Jedi and Last Jedi now, right? I mean, they need to give it to us. Yep. Now that his story's pretty much done after The Last Jedi, I think that stuff coming within the next few years, we're going to be getting all those stories that tell about Luke in those 30 years post return of the jedi i think it's now on the horizon <laughs> now that what if the animated project is like a semi-adult animated project called like the skywalker chronicles and follows leia <laughs> and luke during the 30 years between the movies and i'd be on board with that in a yeah. heartbeat <laughs> oh god i'd be so happy oh man all right dude well thank you again really appreciate you uh we'll put all your links and stuff up on and uh yeah, really, just thank you again for being on. No problem. Yeah, thanks for asking me. It was a lot of fun. I, I could always talk Star Wars, so <laughs> it was fun as always. Totally. All right, listeners, well, thank you for joining us. Thanks to our guest, Tim. Check out his podcasts and Twitters. Uh, we'll be coming back at you soon. And for now, we are out.